Saturday, September 10th, 2022. BK here coming at you guys from San Diego, California, where it is currently cloudy, rainy, cool after the brutal heat. I'll have more on that in a little bit. Please follow me on Instagram at uh, BKActual, and you can check out breaking news throughout the week on my Twitter at BravoKiloActual. Coming to you about 11.20 a.m. Let's go ahead and get right into it, guys. Start with Canada, where... Earlier in the week, we had the uh, crazy stabbing attacks, and now the latest news is the second suspect in those killings in Saskatchewan has died after capture, and he was actually in police custody. So, a little background. Remember, the set, he was the, the second of two brothers, is the guy who died and he was being sought by police after that stabbing rampage in Western Canada that killed 10 people. Now, the Royal Canadian Mounted Police initially announced that the man, Miles Sanderson, had been captured on a highway near the town of Rothern, Saskatchewan, at about 3.30 p.m. local time. But at a news conference about four and a half hours later, Assistant Commissioner of the Mounted Police in Saskatchewan, Rhonda Blackmore, said that Sanderson had gone into, quote, medical distress, end quote, shortly after his arrest and was taken to a hospital in the nearby city of Saskatoon where he was pronounced dead. So now they're going to have an investigation to review the death. I will tell you that uh, one of my great Canadian law enforcement listeners in the Toronto PD uh, was mocking the Royal Canadian Mounted Police over this, but... We still don't really know how exactly he was able to do it while in custody. Um, but because now both of the brothers who did the stabbings are dead, there might not be any kind of uh, motive revealed unless they left behind some kind of friggin' manifesto. But yeah, this was mostly in one of the local indigenous communities there. And um, I'm just uh, scrolling through here. The, the reservation that bore the brunt of the attacks was the James Smith Cree Nation. And they also had, in addition to the 10 dead, there was 18 people wounded. 10 remain in the hospital with three in critical condition. So out of all the wounded and all of the dead, all but one of the victims did live on that James Smith Cree Nation uh, reservation. As far as these two brothers, um, they are, of course, have records. As a matter of fact, Sanderson, Miles Sanderson, the guy who fucking died in police custody in January 2015, he was charged with attempted murder after the police said he had repeatedly stabbed his father-in-law with a knife and wounded his mother-in-law. The records do not offer a reason for that assault either. So, let's see. That was seven years ago. 
So he was charged with attempted murder. So what was the follow-up to that? Um, anything else about this? I'm just, it's it just kind of, this New York Times article I'm reading is, um, is really long. It's kind of more focused on the victims here. Let me see if this Daily Mail has any more information. Now, this was like, you know, this is a massive four-day manhunt. And the end of it, by the way, it was a police chase. And the cops actually ran Miles Sanderson's truck off a rural road in Saskatchewan. Uh, if I didn't say so, uh, Miles Sanderson was 32, by the way. Um, look, I don't know. I can't tell from the pictures, but they look like some sort of ethnicity other than, you know, white Canadian. I don't know if they are themselves indigenous or not. Um, but yeah, his brother, Miles Sanderson's brother, had been found dead. So Miles was the only remaining suspect uh, at large. Now, the Daily Mail says that Sanderson went into medical distress while in custody. That previously named spokesman said CPR was attempted on him before an ambulance arrived. And emergency medical personnel then took him to a hospital where he was pronounced dead. An official who spoke on condition of anonymity said Sanderson died of self-inflicted injuries? Without giving any further details. So, because I was thinking like, oh, what, did he just suck down a fistful of pills? Like, you know, right when the cops ran him off the road to like, you know, be like, okay, well, I'm just going to commit suicide. And that's what I was kind of thinking. But the Daily Mail says self-inflicted injuries. Like, is he shooting himself? Cutting himself? He had broken into a woman's home armed with a knife. This guy really liked knives. And that was kind of what led to the ongoing police uh, chase with that. So he did have a knife on him. Yeah, very, very weird, dude. Um, the brother's parents actually talked to CBC News yesterday, and their mother was begging Miles to turn himself in. And uh, she was, of course, his, um, she, the mother, was very apologetic. Sanderson's brother, by the way, was uh, Damien. And it should be pointed out, he was found dead of injuries cops say were likely not self-inflicted. So, of course, now they're looking into whether Miles killed his own brother. What a fucking psycho, dude. This is, yeah, and we might not ever know. This was one of the deadliest attacks in Canada's modern history. Um, let me see. Does the Daily Mail have anything on the guy's background? Miles Sanderson had actually been wanted since May because that was when he stopped going to court-mandated visits with his parole officer. And, oh, here we go. Here's more detail. See, the Daily Mail's got good detail. Miles had disappeared while out on parole on a five-year sentence for assault, robbery, mischief... <laughs> And making threats. He was facing charges including three counts of murder in the first degree, one count of attempted murder, and one count of breaking and entering. Okay, so presumably those three counts of uh, first degree murder were for the attempted stabbing of the mother-in-law, etc. But why was he out? Boy, the fucking woke disease of letting criminals out. It's, it's, it's worldwide apparently in the West. How, do you, how is a guy who's 
who's charged with three counts of first-degree murder allowed to be out on the streets. I just don't understand this culture these people are doing. So uh, if you guys are interested, there's a really long article in the New York Times when uh, it goes way into detail about all of their complex trail of crimes. And if you want to go read it, it's called A Kick at the Door, A Knife in the Hand, The Saskatchewan Murders. So go check that out. But that that's basically all we know right now. Let's keep going, though, and talk about Vietnam. Uh, a electrical problem started a fire at a karaoke bar, and it killed 32 people. It was a three-story karaoke bar in southern Vietnam. And this is the deadliest fire now in Vietnam since 2002. And it's just the latest in a series of fatal blazes at specifically Vietnamese karaoke bars. So the disaster has now prompted Prime Minister Pham Minh Chin to order fire inspections nationwide at karaoke bars and other establishments considered to be high risk, including pubs, discos, and nightclubs. They are calling this an electrical short circuit that set off the fire, and this was the An Phu Karaoke. This is just north of Ho Chi Minh City. For you Nam Vets, Saigon. Residents told the nearby uh, local news media that they heard loud explosions at the time, but the flames spread quickly through the second floor into the third, blocked exits, filled the hallway with smokes, and uh, grew swiftly. The building had few windows, a wooden interior, and flammable soundproof foam panels. The bar staff tried but failed to extinguish the fire. So the people inside were trapped. Many of the singing rooms... Okay, okay, there's like multiple rooms for karaoke here? Many of the singing rooms were locked, so it made it hard for rescuers to enter and help the roughly 60 employees and customers. Some did not follow instructions to escape quickly because they were drunk, according to the local police chief. Some guests jumped about 25 feet from the building's balcony to safety. Of course, they were injured doing so, but hey, do what you got to do. Of the 32 who died, 17 were men and 15 were women. Only 19 people have been identified so far because you can imagine the burns were pretty severe. Uh, there's been several fatal fires at karaoke karaoke bars in Hanoi. Um, one in 2014 killed five people. One in 2016 killed 13 people. And one last month killed three firefighters. I think I talked about that one. So now they're getting into it even more. So, dude, 32. That's a, that's a lot. How about Indonesia. This is what I'm talking about when I'm always saying, you know what, I admire the people who get out in the streets for, like, good causes. Well, they had a big one in Jakarta and the uh, capital of Indonesia when thousands of protesters rallied across the country this week calling for the government to reverse its first price hike on subsidized fuel in eight years and vowing to continue demonstrations until president and also holder of my favorite name of a head of office, Joko Widodo, meets their demands. The government deployed thousands of police officers this week to control the crowds and guard gas stations across Indonesia, which, if you didn't know, has about 270 million people. University students in Jakarta clashed with the police and burned tires in front of the presidential palace. 
So they all want a reversal of a 30% increase to subsidized fuel prices that was announced last Saturday, a hike that many say is necessary but remains deeply unpopular in the Southeast Asian nation. And this is a sensitive time for Joko. He's been traveling the globe, meeting with world leaders in advance of the G20, the Group of 20 Summit, scheduled to take place in Bali later this year. Boy, you know, you ever notice that the G20 guys, G7 and all that, they're always meeting somewhere really cool and exotic and awesome? Like, they never meet in, like, fucking Nebraska, do they? No, they don't. All right, people living in Nebraska, I'm sorry. I've driven through the state. I'm just saying there's not a lot to look at. (laughs) So calm down. Uh, Although Joko has an approval rating of around 68%, but that fell to some extent by his decision to raise cooking oil prices earlier this year. But no issue is more politically sensitive in Indonesia than fuel price increases. In 1998, after then-President Suharto raised prices by up to 71%, oh my God, violent protests resulted in the deaths of 1,200 people, and he was forced to resign. Other leaders who followed have sought to raise prices only to back down in the face of unrest. So this is an artificial subsidy by the government as, uh, you know, that is common in some of these countries. It's a fairly common. I've done multiple stories about how they have some of these in like Latin and South America as well. Um, for dec- Oh, here's more about that. For decades, Indonesians have paid one of the lowest rates in the world for gasoline, the equivalent of about $2 a gallon. Thanks to a government subsidy program that began under President Sukarno in the 1960s. But soaring oil prices worldwide have caused the country's energy subsidies to triple this year. They're paying $34 billion in subsidies to keep the fuel artificially cheap. So Joko had promised not to raise fuel prices until the end of the year. On Sunday, he acknowledged that car owners had benefited from more than 70% of the subsidies instead of the underprivileged who often don't have cars and have like little scooters and shit. So a a lot of the uh, fuel analysts are saying, hey, you know, this is um, Indonesia has kept fuel prices artificially low for way too long. And um, this is it's untenable. So, by the way, Indonesia is the fourth of oh, the world's fourth most populous nation. Yeah, there they are out in the streets, though. What do you do? What did you do when friggin' gasoline was seven bucks a gallon in Los Angeles? What did you do? Did you go out in the streets and protest and in front of the mayor's office and burn tires? No, you went back to making TikToks. Did nothing. What else? Okay, well, let's go to the big story of the week, and let's go to England. Queen Elizabeth II, of course, has died at 96 years old. She was Britain's longest reigning monarch. And a very popular figure. She, uh, I mean, it's, it's, it's the, the reason it probably hit people so hard, even like, like, I don't really care about the monarchy. Of course I know who she was. But... I think she was like a connection to the past and the present. She was one of those rare links, right? And like a lot of people are saying now with her passing, it's almost like that link is gone, so what's left? And now you're going to have King Charles III. He's a complete dud. Nobody cares about him. Even the Brits don't care about him. But, you know, the, the Queen Elizabeth was the queen mother, and she was, you know, seen as kind of like the grandmother of the nation for the English people and 
Very, very popular, in England at least. We'll have more on that in a second. But yeah, she died at uh, Balmoral Castle in Scotland where she used to go in the summer. They did not specify a cause of death, said she had died peacefully. Um, yeah, pretty crazy, man. A day earlier, she had met with the incoming conservative prime minister, by the way, Liz Truss, the 15th prime minister the queen dealt with during her reign. Though in doing so, because of her illness or whatever she had, frailty, she broke with long-standing tradition by meeting Liz Truss at the place in Scotland rather than at Buckingham Palace. So, obviously, huge amounts of upheaval while she was queen. She became queen on June 2nd, 1953. Well, that was her coronation. But she had acceded to the throne one year prior to that. So, she kind of inherited this empire that was dwindling rapidly. And remember, the old saying was, the sun never sets on the British Empire. But, of course, it ended up doing that quite a bit. Her coronation was the first royal event of its kind to be broadcast almost in full on television. And people were fascinated by her. That's why we had, she's been the subject of Hollywood movies. That uh, was the blockbuster series on Netflix. All that. And, of course, her dopey family had uh, lots of material for the local tabloids. So, Yeah. She was, I should point out, she was uh, did serve in the military during World War II as well. And in 2017, she celebrated the 70th anniversary of her marriage to her husband, Prince Philip. He died last April. So, yeah, very good. And I'm just reading down here about... Uh, yeah, you know, she's had various scandals. Probably the worst scandal, honestly, the mo especially in the social media era, was her fucking um, idiot, what is he, her grandson? Prince Andrew? He's the guy who freaking uh, was with Epstein all the time, and he's he definitely, like, raped underage uh, girls. Yeah, so the queen, yeah, she gone. So, what else? Well, now it's going to be King Charles, um, and they are having a ceremony in London pretty much as we speak. I think it might have just ended. And her funeral will be held on September 19th at Westminster Abbey. And that should be a spectacle, because that might be the greatest gathering of like world leaders in decades like when is the last time this many heads because there's going to be a lot of heads of state who go to that i mean can you imagine the security it's going to be freaking unreal dude but yep it will be king charles the third and he's a complete dope and he's also a very weird like climate uh climate change fanatic and <laughs> Very strange guy. Oh, yeah, here's a little bit. The New York Times put up an article. The Queen's death leaves the UK grappling with its sense of national identity. Yeah. And then, you know, and they, everybody knew it was coming, but it was like kind of a, just a shock because it was only, she's been there for so long that only really old people in England remembered even anyone else. So she was seen as like a familial link to uh, tons and tons of people. 
Okay. What else? Oh, I have a clip here of uh, Prince, now King Charles. Remember, he was Princess Diana's husband, then he got a divorce. He took on that chick, Camilla. Not, it's it's inescapable, some of this stuff. So it's not like I follow the royal family, but like, you know, I'm doing the news all the time and you constantly see it. Uh, let's hear from King Charles III in his first address as king. Here we go. I speak to you today with feelings of profound sorrow. Throughout her life, Her Majesty the Queen, my beloved mother, was an inspiration, an example to me and to all my family. And we owe her the most heartfelt debt any family could owe to their mother. Queen Elizabeth was a life well lived, a promise with destiny kept, and she is mourned most deeply in her passing. That promise of lifelong service I renew to you all today. She made sacrifices for duty. Her dedication and devotion as sovereign never wavered through times of change and progress, through times of joy and celebration, and through times of sadness and loss. In her life of service, we saw that abiding love of tradition, together with that fearless embrace of progress, which makes us great as nations. As the Queen herself did with such unswerving devotion, I too now solemnly pledge myself throughout the remaining time God grants me to uphold the constitutional principles at the heart of our nation. And wherever you may live in the United Kingdom or in the realms and territories across the world, and Whatever may be your background or beliefs, I shall endeavor to serve you with loyalty, respect, and love, as I have throughout my life. Okay, yes, very good. It's funny, you know, all the, the you can really tell when somebody's like that got that upper crust British accent. You know, like the regular, like, you know, street guy, the Cockney accent is like, you know, He's all like, eh, get in it, doing all that shit. Like, oh, mate, gov, all that shit. But then the upper crust guy is like, that it is, it is with profound sorrow that I announce the passing of the queen. It is very extraordinary throughout her life of service. Very, very much. Uh, they got that really like spittle-filled kind of accent. It was like like Winston Churchill was the same same way. And now, of course, the predictable fallout, which was hilarious. So pretty much all day, and you knew this was coming, <laughs> every single ethnic activist on the planet uh, was uh, pretty much cheering with joy that uh, the evil witch queen was gone. And, uh, of course, they immediately uh, called for reparations, returned the crown jewels, give back the land, uh, all this stuff. is One of the funnier moments, Prince Charles... Now, King Charles, that you just heard, he actually guest edited the September edition of Britain's leading black newspaper called The Voice, right? It just did it. And they got a backlash so bad that now that same newspaper, after having him guest edit the issue, is now calling for reparations. <laughs> see, see what you get? See what you get for reaching out? Yeah. 
Funny shit, dude. And then the, the, the tweets were insane all day. One of the craziest ones was a Carnegie Mellon professor, uh, a university professor in America named Uju Anya. And she's 46 years old. She said her mother was born in Trinidad and her father in Nigeria, eventually meeting in England in the 1950s and called herself a child of colonization. Well, your parents went to England. <laughs> Nobody, what are you talking? Your Nigerian father went to England and your Trinidadian mother went to England. Yeah. And she was, she herself fucking um, sparked outrage because she wished the queen on Twitter a, quote, excruciatingly painful, end quote, death, and all of this. Um, yeah, where's the good part? Yeah, she described herself as a child of colonization and went on and on about the slavery and Carnegie Mellon, as they should. And by the way, Twitter removed her tweet, which I don't agree with. I, I, I'm against censorship. Leave it up. So everybody can see, like, what a clown you are. And the thing was, my, I'm just looking at all these. Yeah, here's, here's her tweet in full. Quote, I heard the chief monarch of a thieving, raping, genocidal empire is finally dying. May her pain be excruciating. End quote. And, yeah, and the, the funny part here is that most of the people bitching are, like, longtime fucking members of a now Western country. You know what I'm saying? Like, you have, like, people who's, like, your family's been in, like, New Jersey for, like, generations coming out and being like, I'm from a colonized people. It's like, dude, shut up. <laughs> you don't even know what you're... You don't even know anything about where you're from. I just found it, like, really ironic, all of it. But, you know, I'm like, dude, you know what? Should have been better at war, dude. I don't know. I don't like... I'm, like, I'm half Ukrainian. I don't know if I've ever told you guys that. And the Soviets at the time uh, committed the uh, Holocaust of Starvation called the Holodomor against the Ukrainian people. And they say up to 10 million people were starved to death. It was like one of the worst mass killings in history. And like, I, I just don't, it doesn't resonate with me really because I'm so far removed from that. I'm so far removed from the country. Like, I don't know anything about Ukraine other than what I cover every week. I don't know any, I don't know the language. I don't know any of it. If I went to Ukraine, I would be an American. I wouldn't be Ukrainian. So I don't know. I just can't relate to things that happened like 200, 300, 400 years ago to my ancestors. You know, I'm sorry they happened, I guess. I, do I sit around thinking about it and bitching about it on Twitter? No, I don't. So it was pretty much like that all day yesterday on Twitter. So um, it, it, I just had some fun with it. And I, I did put a few of the tweets on my Instagram. And that's why you guys should follow me. Let's take a break from the international news for a moment. I had I talked to you guys about that SEAL course, the Navy U.S. Navy SEALs and the guy who died and then the steroid scandal. Talked to you about it a little bit last week. Well, I got a little bit of an update. The Navy has now started an independent investigation of basic underwater demolition school, otherwise known as BUDS, the selection course for SEALs, after that sailor's death this year. And, you know, it wasn't just the drugs and the poor medical oversight it was it was like physical abuse and you know there's a lot of talk well hold on i don't want to blow my load yet basically what happened was the outgoing chief of naval operations admiral william lesher 
ordered a new investigation, and that assignment was given to a rear admiral from outside the SEALs, signaling that the Navy had given it high priority. And the letter, it's kind of pathetic, but he issued this letter that was dated the day after the original New York Times story. So, like, what, you fucking couldn't, you couldn't do it until, like, the journalists wrote about it? That's what, that's what it pisses me off so much about our military. Everybody, really, in public life. They don't do anything until the media brings attention to it. They don't do it because it's the right thing to do. Uh, so, yes, they are going to focus on a broad swath of issues, including safety measures, the qualifications of instructors, medical personnel, and their drug testing policies. Um, so, the Naval Special Warfare Command, who oversees the SEALs, they've been looking into it, and... Their findings were supposed to have been released in August, but they held those findings back after top Navy leaders indicated that they thought the report placed too much blame on the sailor and not enough failures on the SEALs themselves. You believe these fucks? Yeah, it, it was... And I talked a lot about it, how stupid they are with those instructors were last week. And, you know, the, 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 the fucking goofballs... Probably some of the SEALs you follow on Instagram, you know, they're all like, yeah, man, that's what it should be. Fucking oorah, all that shit like that. But the problem is that now, or at least until very recently, as my buds contacts told me, they made it like stupid. And as I told you last week, it's easy to make a course stupid and so hard that nobody passes. As a matter of fact, the average passing rate plunged suddenly in February of 2021 to half of what had typically been in prior years. Since then, in some classes, only 7% of sailors have made it through. And as the New York Times points out, and I told you last week, some BUDS candidates said the course had recently become even harder, and that drop coincided roughly with the arrival of a new command team led by Captain Bradley Geary. He is a decorated officer who served for a time at SEAL Team 6, or DevGrew. While he was in charge, several changes were made at BUDS. A key change, and this is according to current and former Navy personnel with knowledge of operations there, a key change they said was removing a number of senior civilian advisors. All of those senior civilian advisors were retired SEALs. Their only job was to watch over training, guide young instructors, and step in if they saw unnecessary abuse or bad medical problems. Fucking this guy got rid of him. And the instructor staff was then packed with men, recently moved over from SEAL Team 6. Instructors were given greater leeway to run classes as they saw fit, and they didn't have any civilian advisors around, so what do you think happened? Um... Five sailors who were BUD students in 2021 or 2022 described a savage intensity that few SEALs before them had seen. Remember last week when I told you that my sources said that, you know, famous SEALs like 10 years ago would not have passed this course? Yep. And they say, and they also confirmed my sources that told me there was physical abuse involved. Those, uh, the New York Times writes instructors had hit, kicked, or abused students. Each BUDS class is assigned a proctor, that is a SEAL instructor whose job is to be an ally and mentor for the students. But several of the New York Times sources said their proctor would use his nightly mentoring sessions to inflict more punishment, having students run for miles in the dark and plunge into the ocean. 
Um, medical personnel often stood by silently as people were physically abused or, in some cases, participated in that abuse. Um, I, they are supposed to get, like, six hours of sleep for the first two weeks before Hell Week. Well, they were only allowed two to three hours of sleep a night in the first two weeks of the course. Um, one guy who entered BUDS in 2021 said he had gone to instructors at 5 a.m. one day with a painfully swollen leg, telling them he believed it was broken and they needed to see the medical staff. He said instructors responded that the medical clinic did not open until 7 a.m. and then ordered him to wait the two hours in the cold Pacific surf while the rest of the class was ordered to chant his name and tell him to quit. <laughs> you know, I know I know a lot of you guys put these dudes on a pedestal. Let me fucking tell you something. They're just guys, okay? That's all they fucking are. And they're guys with an extreme sense of like uh, tolerance of pain and physical ability, just like every other special operator who's now retired, but they're just men. And just like any other group of men, there's good ones and there's bad ones, and there were some fucking piles of shit that were running that course. See, yeah, here we go. Seals who went through, from quote from the New York Times article, Seals who went through buds years ago said they had never experienced that kind of abuse. A retired SEAL whose son recently tried to complete Bud said in an interview that when he had seen his son two weeks into the course, the young sailor was so swollen and covered with abrasions he looked like they'd been in a motorcycle wreck. The retired SEAL said that we, he, when he had qualified in the 1990s, BUDS was hard, but the focus had been largely about learning teamwork and mental toughness. What his son experienced, he said, was more like, quote, Lord of the Flies, end quote. And, of course, we had all the drug problems. Instructors had briefed their classes on drug use, but apparently the emphasis was on not getting caught. Yeah, and where and like you know what I forgot to say? Where's the fucking officer? Where was the officer quartering all this? Where's this fucking Geary tard? Yeah, I I see that Captain Geary is well respected in the community, very good. Well, he was shitty at his fucking job, that's for sure. Where's the oversight? You have out of control guys like and this happened. You always there's always going to be instructors who take it too far all the time. I had them in my selection course. I've heard stories from friends from other branches. They have them, and they got to be pulled back. Because they take it per they get personal with guys, and it turns into fucking abuse. Again, like I said last week, there's a reason why the test to get into the SEALs is only a mile and a half run. To get into PJ's pararescue is only a mile and a half run, etc. It's not like, okay, you need to be fucking running six miles in under 40 minutes before you're even allowed to attend BUDS. That's not the standard. It's crawl, walk, run. You take a guy who's shown himself to be have potential for great things physically, has demonstrated that, and then you crawl, walk, run him up until he's a fucking stud by week 8, week 9, week 10. So, and by the way, the Navy uh, has said that a number of instructors had been moved out of BUDS training since February, but that none had received any official punishment, and many are still instructors in later stages of SEAL training. So they'll just do it there then instead. That's what you get with fuck asses like that. Okay, uh, so just a quick update on that one. What else? Uh, let's go to... Um, what did I want to do? Let's go to uh, Ukraine because there's been like a lot of action over there. There's a counteroffensive going on by the Ukrainians and they are making fucking hella gains. 
Ukrainian forces have scored the most significant battlefield gains since they routed Russia from the area around Kiev in April. They have reclaimed territory in the northeast. President Volodymyr Zelensky had said that the Ukrainian military had captured scores of villages and large chunks of Russian-occupied territory since the offensive began. He said, quote, In total, more than 1,000 square kilometers of the territory of Ukraine have been liberated since beginning of September, end quote. That's a spot-on impression, if you haven't heard him. Uh, so the Ukrainian military appeared to be moving rapidly to cut off the city of Izium. That is a critical logistical hub for Russian military operations. And the new offensive in the north appears to have caught the Russian forces off guard. is because they're incompetent boobs. That's why. Uh, now, the defense ministry on Telegram, the Russian defense ministry, said that they were moving troops to re- reinforce the Kharkiv region without specifying their numbers or specific locations. And this is a this is a big shock, especially to all the Kremlin-friendly military bloggers. Uh, a Ukrainian pro-Kremlin blogger with more than 2.2 million followers on Telegram said, quote, We need to be honest. Ukraine command has outplayed us here, end quote. And he also went on to say that this might, uh, unless they fail to stop this, this will be the most serious combat defeat for Moscow yet. And it's hard to tell what's real over there. But some of the fucking videos coming out, like one, it showed like an armored vehicles just like, assaulting a village like full speed ahead 50 cows going away and what's striking to me that i don't know if anybody else caught but you hear english in the background american english so it's definitely fucking americans going on and you know and i just want to point out again like this is possible because of our weapons and real-time targeting data because fucking there's no way ukraine would be able to do any of this shit without the massive amount of weaponry that NATO and us have given them. And I got more on that in a second. So there's maps and stuff. You guys can go look it out. But uh, Russia is just fucking... They have no ability to prepare a defense. Even those pro-Kremlin bloggers are like, hey, fucking explain yourselves. What are you doing? And... A lot of people are wondering what, why are they so appra- uh, unprepared for this? So, yeah, I'm just looking at this, blah, blah, blah. Some of the pro-Kremlin bloggers have warned that the loss of large swaths of occupied lands in Ukraine would undermine the Russia is here forever message that occupying authorities have been preaching in order to sway locals to support them. So they have a northern offensive going. But there's also a southern counteroffensive that's making gains as well. And last week, Ukrainian forces reported that they had broken through the first line of Russian defenses in multiple locations in the Kherson region, where they remained engaged in fierce battles to drive the Russians back. Um, yes, they say that, yeah, uh, General Mark Milley, chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff in, the, in America, said that, yes, Ukraine is doing well. He sought to temper expectations for what will probably continue to be a long, bloody campaign. But here's the the big thing, is the HIMARS missiles that we sent there. I'll have more on that in a second. That has been used to strike more than 400 targets. And of course, they have the javelins. They've got the drones. 
the Switchblade drones, they've got real-time targeting and everything else. So I want to talk about a little bit about the HIMARS. The, what we've been sending them is the M142 HIMARS. That's short for High Mobility Artillery Rocket System, if you didn't know. And it's basically a five-ton truck with a big-ass rocket launcher mounted on the back. And the Pentagon announced that they were sending the first of those four launchers to Kiev at the beginning of June. And that was about six weeks after we had given them the 155-meter, millimeter, sorry, howitzers and ammo for them. Since June, the U.S. has sent Kiev 126 155-millimeter howitzers and has authorized shipments of up to 807,000 rounds of ammunition for them to fire. So now, Ukraine has 26 advanced mobile launchers. They have 16 HIMARS vehicles from the United States and 10 older American-made M270 launchers that Britain and Germany provided. See, Britain and Germany are smart. They're giving them their older shit. Uh, the the launchers themselves, by the way, th so that's great and all, but the other part is the munitions that the HIMARS fire called Guided Multiple Launch Rocket System, or GMLRS. They pronounce that Gimlers. It's an artillery rocket. It's propelled by solid f solid fuel rocket motor. It can be launched one at a time or in salvos. And it's funny because we first used artillery rockets in World War II, and they could saturate a target, just carpet bomb the shit out of it with exploding warheads. Way easier than a much greater number of howitzers. But the U.S. actually gave up on those weapons after the Korean War. Like, largely put them aside. But the Pentagon began developing a new version in the 1980s as part of a suite of munitions that could destroy the tens of thousands of tanks and armored vehicles that the Pentagon assumed the Soviet Union would use in an invasion of Western Europe. So, yeah. The, so the, the original, the the new, the original artillery rocket weapon was called MLRS for Multiple Launch Rocket System, and it was a big ass tank like weapon built on the same chassis as the Bradley. I know a lot of you guys, you know the Bradley fighting vehicle. A lot of you have ridden around those in Iraq. So the M two seventy MLRS featured an innovative ammunition system. Its rockets were fired from bundles of preloaded launch tubes called pods that could quickly be discarded and replaced as a single unit, whereas older generations of launchers had to be manually relocated, reloaded one rocket at a time. So each pod contained six unguided M26 rockets, and each rocket carried 644 small grenade-like bomblets designed to punch through the armor of an enemy tank. We first used those, and they are, cluster munitions in combat in 1991 in Operation Desert Storm, as one of my Desert Storm veteran buddies likes to call the big one. <laughs> More than 17,000 M26 rockets were fired at Iraqi troops. Hmm. Actually, the rocket's bomblets, though, had a high failure rate, so they left behind a lot of fucking uh, EO, you know, explosive ordnance like, littered around the ground. As a matter of fact, dozens of American troops were killed or wounded when they came across those MLRS duds. So then they phased out the M26 in favor of the Gimlers. 
So pretty pretty cool article uh, over at the New York Times. If you want to look at that one, it's called "The American Guided Rockets Helping U- Ukraine Destroy Russian Forces." And by the way, uh, Antony Blinken, U.S. Secretary of State, has announced two billion more in aid to Ukraine and 18 neighbors of them, by the way. This package includes America's most accurate GPS-guided artillery shells. And this was announced during the Secretary of State's surprise visit to Kiev a couple days back. So that will bring the total... Well, I know it's not just aid. The Daily Mail writes aid to Ukraine to $15.2 billion. But that's military aid. Like, that doesn't count all the money we're giving them to prop up the economy as well. So, you know... And I think that's where Putin miscalculated. He was like, well, basically, fucking Americans will get sick of their government spending money on a foreign nation that isn't even in NATO, and they'll rise up or something like that. But <laughs> most Americans... He, he What he didn't calculate was most Americans aren't really motivated to do much, as my aforementioned rant about the fuel protests would illustrate. And most people really don't pay that close to like what the government is spending on, or they, they might comment on it, but nobody's going to go out and protest it. And by the way, it's very popular in both parties right now. Like, There's virtually no pushback from Congress against any of this. So look for it to continue. And then finally, uh, just a tangential story. The European Union is, weighs, is weighing a Russian gas price cap and other measures to rein in astronomic energy prices. I don't know if you guys seen some of that stuff going around on like TikTok or Instagram, Twitter, but like people in the EU and Britain are like posting their like electricity prices and they, some places they've like quintupled. Like it's crazy. So the EU Commission said that they would ask countries to approve approve a broad cap on the price of Russian gas. They are also proposing measures like mandatory cuts in electricity use, a tax on oil and gas companies, and a tax on the price of electricity generated by renewables. Gee, let me just scratch my head here. What's one thing missing there? Hmm. Yes, have you guys have you guys thought about it? What's one thing missing that they didn't propose? If you guessed Building more fucking power plants, you'd be right. No, of course not. That would be using very cheap and reliable fossil fuels. And that would make Greta Thunberg cry. So none of them are going to do that. Instead, they're going to tax the oil and gas companies. And by the way, whenever you tax an oil and gas companies and you think these fucking dopes would know this by now, it just gets passed along to the consumer. What am I saying? Of course they know it, but they think it sounds cool, and most people don't know any better. So if you're like, tax the oil companies, people are like, yeah, fuck the oil companies. And nobody's there to explain, like, well, you know, British Petroleum is just going to add that to the cost of a barrel of oil. So Russia has turned the gas tap for supplying EU member nations, like, kind of on and off. They've been doing that for a while now. So now the EU energy ministers are meeting in Brussels to debate this proposal. And European governments from Germany to Greece are burning through billions of euros a month to subsidize consumers and elect businesses' electricity bills. Yeah, here we go, which in some cases are five times higher as last year. So the government's like taking your tax money and using it to pay people 
why don't you take that tax money and build some fucking energy sources? Like, I, there is, that's how you know this is a cult. Honestly, it's a cult. What rational person would look at this, this war going on, know that it's going to go on for a very, very long time, and not think, shit, we should probably have some energy sources. But they won't do it. I just shake my head. This is like a, a mental illness or something. And just for you guys who don't know, if you're new listeners, yes, I very much I would love to see uh, practical, uh, you know, emission-free energy. I'd love to. We don't have that. Maybe the electric cars, all that have gone on to it ad nauseum. They're not good enough. Uh, they require they acquire require enormous resources. That's never talked about. How to, all the lithium mining. How when they make windmills, how much fucking steel is you when they make solar panels? Have you seen like how much shit goes into building some of those big solar fields that you see around the country now? Like that one outside Las Vegas. You guys seen that when you go on the road when you're leaving Vegas to come back to California? There's that big ass uh, solar panel field just outside Vegas. That requires like just like a thousand percent more steel and other stuff than just building an oil well or something. So, but I don't know. They just don't, <laughs> I don't know. I just feel like it's, uh, I don't know if they're just browbeaten by the the green activists or what. And now the United States is saying like, hey, man, don't let Putin bully you over energy prices. Well, that's easy for us to say. It's when, you know, the, the president of uh, freaking Spain or whoever is just going to, he's like, well, that's nice of you to say, but I have people who can't afford to pay their electric bill whose lights are going out. What am I supposed to do with that? And yes, Anthony Blinken, this is the most obvious thing ever. So Secretary of State Anthony Blinken said yesterday that the U.S.'s European allies must stand firm against President Vladimir Putin's effort to, quote, bully, end quote, them this winter. <laughs> As I, I forever banish the word bully unless it's two adolescents in a schoolyard, okay? That's like the new hot term now. Gr nations cannot be bullied. Grown men cannot be bullied. It's childlike. And then they also say this phrase, which I've loved, I've talked about this. They warn that Putin is weaponizing natural gas supplies to Europe. Well, of course he is. Why would he subsidize his enemies by giving them cheap energy? Of course he's going to do that. So, very good. Is that all I have on Russia, Ukraine? Yeah, Russia, man. Boy, they're fucking just incompetent. And I mean, have you seen the figures? I've seen, like, some statistical outlets are saying that Russia's lost, like, forty to 50,000 men in this war. That is insane. That's like what we lost in Vietnam. We lost like what, like 58,000 guys in Vietnam over 10, 12 years, something like that. And that was 60 years ago before like mass media would never allow that to happen anymore. But like Russia has lost that in basically six months and, and nothing's changing. It like blows my mind. And by the way, he's going to North Korea to like try to buy weapons. And that doesn't bode well for their weapon stockpiles, Russia's so... And speaking of North Korea, changing topics smoothly, they have adopted a new law that says the country will launch a nuclear attack if the U.S. or South Korea 
tries to remove their leader, Kim Jong-un, from power. The law was passed by North Korea's parliament. Big air quotes there. Everything's Kim Jong-un. There are, the parliament there is a rubber stamp. And by the way, it's called the Supreme People's Assembly. <laughs> and the assembly convened in time for the 74th anniversary of North Korea's founding, which was yesterday, Friday. And the new law says that North Korea will launch a nuclear strike, quote, automatically and immediately, end quote, if the command and control system for its nuclear forces is put in danger. That is seen as a reference to Kim himself. He is the command and control for the nuclear forces. The law also says that while North Korea's nuclear arsenal is primarily a war deterrent, their weapons can also be used if an attack with weapons of mass destruction or a non-nuclear attack against the North's leadership is launched or is imminent. In an apparent warning to South Korea, the law also says that North Korea will not use nuclear weapons against states that do not have them unless such a state attacks the North, quote, in collusion, end quote, with another nuclear power. Presumably talking about the United States, of course, a very tight ally with South Korea. Oh, great. Okay, well, you know what? Just let them fucking rot in their shithole that they've created. I'm tired of hearing from Kim Jong-un. Like, fucking get real. Now, I, did, I do stand by prime prediction that the South Korea, North Korea, as we know it, will fall in our lifetimes. I do stand by that. Okay, what else? Well... A lot of serious stuff right now. So let's do quickly a musing story. Former female teacher of the year nominee in North Carolina is charged with raping a boy under 15. And this school that she teaches at, this is the third member of the staff to face sex with a student accusations in just over a decade. 37-year-old Amanda Dahl was arrested, and she's no doll. I mean, guys, dude, look. I remember what it was like to be 15. I know the hormones are rampant. I know you'll probably stick it in anything, but, dude, I'm looking at a mugshot right now. You guys can do better. I mean, honestly, find some fucking hot 18-year-old senior or something like that to go after. Not 37-year-old fucking paunchy Amanda Doll. She was fired from her position at West Johnson High School. She's being held without bond? Hmm, interesting. She was previously one of 33 first-year teachers recognized and nominated for 2022 Outstanding First-Year Teacher. Okay, not the whole teacher of the year. All right. She'd only worked at the school since May of 2021. <laughs> she, boy, she got, she got right down to it, huh? Man. Uh, a, in 2011, uh, a 40-year-old former school resources officer at the same school um, sent inappropriate photos to a student. <laughs> That's funny. He was a 10-year veteran with the Johnston County Sheriff's Office. Very good. Okay, let's keep going. Uh, let's talk about what's going on in Memphis. So we had a couple things. First of all, we had the killing of Eliza Fletcher. She's the chick who went out for a jog at 4.30 in the morning in Memphis, which 
I know Memphis is very, I don't know what part of town she was in, but I had several of you DM me and tell me you were from the area and that you wouldn't fucking go running through Memphis without being strapped. And even then you probably wouldn't. I mean, I doubt she was running in like the hardcore fucking ghetto, but who knows? Uh, yeah. So that was Eliza Fletcher. Her killer, accused killer, 38-year-old Cleotha Abston Henderson, has been charged with first-degree murder. And he's accused of kidnapping her as she was out jogging, shoving her into his SUV. And then they spent like a, what was it, like a week searching for her. Her body was found in an abandoned house. He... Abston Henderson was previously jailed for 22 years after kidnapping a lawyer in Memphis in the year 2000, driving him around at gunpoint. Records show that he was... Whoa. See, the Daily Mail, guys, I mean, people rag on it for being a tabloid. They've got shit that you do not find in other outlets. You know what else this guy did, Abston Henderson? He was previously arrested for raping a man and several assaults before he turned 16 years old and he was first put in juvenile court at age 11. Nice fucking guy, huh? Unbelievable, dude. Oh, and by the way, Tennessee does have the death penalty and he's being charged with first-degree murder, so hopefully this guy gets the fucking big needle. Wow. Um... They did confirm that the incident was isolated. Fletcher had never met her attacker before. Um, and, oh, here, this is great, too. Uh, the local fucking goofball district attorney of Shelby County named Steve Mulroy, he was asked, hey, um, this guy got released early after spending 22 years in prison for that kidnapping of that lawyer. Mulroy said, quote, it's easy to talk about things 2020 in hindsight, end quote. Unbelievable. He did say his office opposed parole at the time, but he was paroled from prison. And again, this goes back to, and I have more examples of the religious cult of people letting, wanting everybody to get out of prison. And you heard, he raped a dude <laughs> before he was 16. Did you you kind of saw this coming, No. Man. Um, yeah, dude. Is there anything more about that? Yeah, he was convicted of raping a man when he was a teenager. Is there anything more about that one? Uh, he was... His first charges were filed against him in June of 1995, and he was part of the LMG gang, which stands for Lemoyne Gardens Gangsters. Yeah, you're fucking real gangster, shitbag. Two weeks after he was released from his final spell at the Shelby County's Youth Services Bureau, he was transferred to adult court for kidnapping lawyer Kemper Durand. And D.A. Mulroy said he wasn't going to get into the juvenile court record. Why? Why? <laughs> because he was a juvenile then? Who fucking cares, dude? It's 20 years later. You can get into it. Especially if he was raping a dude. Um... Yeah, so sad story. <clears throat> I can't help wondering, guys, and I, I honestly kind of hate myself a little bit for this because, oh, guess what? Uh, Cleo Anderson is a guy. That's Abstin's father. He's currently in prison for second-degree murder. Oh, and he's scheduled for release in 2044. <clears throat> so uh, what I was about to say is I, 
I hate what the media and these activists have turned me in because every time I see a story like this, I'm just going to say, white woman, teacher, I'm just going to say, I want to know who she voted for because this is like a hard fucking lesson that these people have to learn because there's a whole lot of, we know the demographics, you guys. White, college-educated women vote overwhelmingly for liberal Democrats. That's a fact. And it seems like they are not going to learn until it's fucking them getting snatched off the street. And I I, I don't like being the guy, because it's a tragedy what happened to her. And I don't like being the guy, because I like said this on Twitter, and everybody's like, oh, you know, you shouldn't be bringing this up. or I'm like, well, then when do you bring it up? When do you bring it up? It's every time I see this crime report story, because I, I get all these like clips of people in Philadelphia decry rise in violence. I'm like, every single time that a, a reporter is interviewing a f- big city resident who's decrying violence, ask them who they voted for. Because that's the only way this shit's going to change. And no, I guess that's too delicate. Man. Sad thing, though. Apparently, she's a billionaire heiress, too. I kept seeing that in print. Uh, I didn't really have time to, like, research that, but she's apparently the, the heir to a, a large fortune. And that wasn't the only thing that was going on in Memphis. We also had that fucking crazy dude who live-streamed himself going around shooting people. Yeah, dude, that was the gunman who set off the crazy string of shootings around Memphis. He ended up killing four people, wounded three others. Unfortunately, he was taken into custody alive. And, yeah, that's just a, I don't know, man. It's a bad deal. By the way, Memphis, it's been bad. In 2021, the city had a record number of killings with 346 and they're expected to beat that this year. So that gunman, Ezekiel Kelly, he started shooting people on Wednesday when he shot and killed a 24-year-old man in a driveway. And then after 4 p.m., the Memphis police reported two shootings by the same guy in nearby locations. In one, a man was found fatally shot in his car and at the other, a woman had been shot in the leg. More than an hour after that, Ezekiel Kelly was then streaming live on Facebook, and this is probably the one you saw. That's when he charged into an auto parts store and opened fire, critically wounding one man there. The gunman then fatally shot a woman during a carjacking. After that, he fatally shot another woman and wounded a man. The gunman then stole another vehicle at gunpoint just over the state line in Mississippi. Police pursued Ezekiel Kelly in a high-speed chase. Uh, He was arrested shortly after 9 p.m. So, fucking pretty pretty bad, dude. Okay, let's move on. How about another crazy killing? Let's talk about that killing of the reporter in Las Vegas. This was a Las Vegas Review-Journal reporter named Jeff German. And he had been pursuing a follow-up story about a politician, and that politician is now the guy who's accused of killing him. Police say that they found DNA 
at the crime scene that matched the public official who had been the subject of German's recent reporting. The, sub, the suspect is Robert Tellis, the Clark County Public Administrator, whatever that is. And he was arrested on suspicion of murdering Mr. German. Did you guys see on social media when the reporters from the Las Vegas Review Journal, this is before he was arrested, they caught up to Tellis, or it could be Tells, T-E-L-L-E-S, they caught up to him at his house, and he was walking around wearing one of those, like, bunny suits, you know, that you wear when you don't want to get your clothes. You know, you see him in murder movies all the time, like Breaking Bad when they were making meth. They would use those white zip-up outfits. He was wearing that. It's like, yeah, way to not be suspicious, bro. But they were yelling at him if he killed a uh, German. He had publicly expressed outrage over German's coverage of his office. And he had been deeply upset that German was pursuing additional reporting. They have not recovered a murder weapon. Um, but the cops say they had found a hat and shoes that matched those of a person seen in surveillance footage at the crime scene. Remember, the guy was stabbed to death. Both the hat and shoes had been cut in apparent attempt to destroy evidence and the blood the shoes had blood on them and this is funny then he tried to fucking cut himself when the cops showed up um let me see here he when the cops showed up tells needed medical attention for self-inflicted wounds that were not life-threatening so he like what cut himself or some shit so the articles that German was working on, by the way, tells us a Democrat. He was elected to lead a small office that administers the estates of people whose beneficiaries are unable to handle them. Oh, he had just lost a re-election campaign after he was the subject of those critical articles. So there you go. Those articles, which first appeared back in May, reported that his office was mired in turmoil over employees' claims of a hostile work environment and an inappropriate relationship between Tellus and a staff member. Yeah, I saw in another tabloid that he had an affair and it was like filmed and all this shit. So the Review Journal noted that shortly before he was killed, German had filed records requests for emails and text messages between Tellus and other government employees and was planning a possible follow-up story. The newspaper reported that he was just beginning a week-long vacation when he was killed. Oof. Yep. So... Pretty fucking crazy. And you guys should go read the Las Vegas Review Journal if you want more detail on it. Now let's get to some fun stuff, you guys. Let us start. Oh, this, these next couple of stories, man. Let's talk about Oberlin College. Yep, and this, this goes back six years, this case. But the headline at the New York Times, and the journal, I love the journalism at the New York Times. It's very good, as I've said repeatedly. The headlines are another matter. First of all, and the tweets are terrible too. Because the headline here is, after a legal fight, Oberlin says it will pay $36.59 million to a local bakery. Okay, that makes it sound like they're choosing to do that. No, they were ordered by a court to do it. This was Gibson's Bakery. Oberlin is a very small liberal arts college. And Gibson's Bakery said that Oberlin falsely accused them of racism after a black student was caught shoplifting. It's a very, it's far, it's a care. Oberlin college is like a caricature of a modern university. It's that far left, right? So this started in 2016. 
so don't act like Oberlin College has no remorse for this all at all. Because this, they've they have appealed this and appealed. They did not want to pay this bakery money because they thought that they were fucking so woke. How could they be bad? This is a small college town in Ohio, and it's very very good. the The case hinged on whether Oberlin officials had defamed the bakery by supporting students who accused the bakery of racial profiling, and the verdict said yes, they had didn't, didn't done so. So now experts are worried that this may make other colleges and universities think twice about joining student causes. Yeah, you should. That's none of your fucking... If, if a bunch of whack job fucking activist students want to get all their panties in a bunch about something, it doesn't mean you have to mention it. You don't have to say anything. And if the students cry about you, just ignore them. <laughs> so... Uh, basically, uh, yeah, Oberlin is... By the way, tuition at Oberlin is more than 61000 a year. The overall cost of attendance tops $80,000 a year. So this is fucking, like, the very elite of America. And the whole town basically supports the university. It's very much a university town, right? So here's what happened. It started in 2016, but I, I really want you guys to go to the Wikipedia entry on this incident because that has all the really great detail and really shows you how far crazed Oberlin administrators and staff took this. But basically, a student tried to buy a bottle of wine with a fake ID. And remember, this is right after the Trump got elected, right? So yes, evil racism, depending on the land, De descending on the land. Anyway, a student tried to buy a bottle of wine with a fake ID while he shoplifted two more bottles by hiding them under his coat. Alan Gibson, a son and grandson of the owners, who is white, chased the student out onto the streets where two of his friends, the, the, the thief, also black students at Oberlin, started fighting him. In other words, the New York Times isn't right. The three guys surrounded the kid and they were punching him, kicking him, and he was down on the ground. They ended up pleading guilty to charges. So that fight led to two days of protests. Yeah, against the bakery. <laughs> they were accusing them of racially profiling its customers. So the lawsuit filed by Gibsons contended that Oberlin, Oberlin had defamed the bakery when the dean of students, Meredith Raimondo, and other members of the administration started attending the protests where flyers peppered with capital letters urged a boycott of the bakery and said that it was a, quote, racist establishment with a long account of racial profiling and discrimination, end quote. By the way, that was refuted during the trial by many bakery African-American employees who were like, that's fucking ludicrous. That's never happened. Never seen it. Never happened. And then Oberlin stopped ordering from the bakery but it offered to restore their business if charges were dropped against the three students or if the bakery gave students accused of shoplifting special treatment. Now, the New York Times doesn't have this in here, but the Wikipedia entry does. Basically, Oberlin demanded that if the bakery ever caught any student shoplifting, they not call the police, but call Oberlin. And... And and not and not press charges at all. In other words, like you get one free thievery. <laughs> it's hard to believe, isn't it? And this Ray Mondo chick was a complete lunatic. She was at the fucking protest with the bullhorn screaming all fucking day long. And uh, they lost a lot of business because of it. They claimed that they had only been trying to keep the peace, which was which was ludicrous. 
So, um, yeah, this is fantastic. Again, go read the uh, Wikipedia entry so you can really see all the details. This actually, they got a jury verdict in 2019, and this is how you know they're complete assholes. After a six-week trial, Oberlin lost, right? The original jury award was $44 million in punitive and compensatory damages, right? And after that 2019 award, Carmen Twilly Ambar, the college president, said that the case was far from over and that, quote, none of this will sway us from our core values, end quote. They went on to say that the bakery's, quote, archaic chase and detain policy regarding suspected shoplifters was the catalyst for the protests, end quote. So they, they fucking appealed many, many times. They didn't even want, and this is all the social justice crap. They didn't, so any, any hey, uh, any black parents out there, you fucking think your kid, would you be out protesting if your kid got caught stealing booze while he was underage? Would you be out protesting the guy who caught him? Or would you be mad at your kid? Probably the second one if you're a normal person and not any fucking Oberlin lunatic. So, yeah, fucking fantastic story. Now, continuing some of this racial-themed stuff, like I told you last week, remember the BYU volleyball scandal? I talked about it last week. Well, BYU has done an extensive investigation. Wait till you hear how extensive it was. They have said they found no evidence of racial slurs at a volleyball match. Oh, my, and Twitter was going crazy. They were like, this is like the cops investigating themselves. In case you don't remember, a black Duke volleyball player said she heard somebody continually, which is important, screaming the N-word at her every time she moved and served the ball, and she said it lasted throughout the match. And that's what happened. And every fucking media outlet in the world picked up on it. I played you Stephen A. Smith from ESPN last week, that fucking dope. They just believe it so quickly, even with mounting evidence every week that the vast majority of these, like the huge majority, are fake. But everyone that comes along, they buy uncritically. Like, not once does any media, even now, they just swallow it completely. Like, I don't know, bro, after you've been burned like 10 fucking times in a row by a nationwide fake race story... The 11th time, don't you just take a pregnant pause for a minute? You don't have to say anything either way. Like I said, oftentimes the best course of action is to do nothing or say nothing. And you wait for shit to come out. You'd think they would get that after being burned so many times. And it's especially ironic because Duke, you kids out there, you might not remember this. Duke, of course, had the famous lacrosse race, race, uh, race hoax in which that black stripper said that those three guys raped her and, like, the fucking 10% of the entire faculty, like, signed a letter saying, oh, we decry this racism and white supremacy and all that because the three lacrosse players were white and she was black. And it turned out she made the whole thing up. And I, I remember that story vividly because I looked into it at the time. That chick had previous, like, convictions... Um, she's in jail right now, actually, right right now. She fucking killed a guy. She killed her boyfriend. So she's in fucking prison. Uh, Crystal Magnum. That's not even in front of me. That's part of the steel trap mind. Crystal Magnum is rotting away in prison. And so it's ironic that Duke would once again fucking uncritically and hopefully swallow another hoax. So 
There was more than 5,500 people in the stands for the match at the arena, right? And as I asked last week, she, again, she said this happened the whole game. I don't know how long the volleyball match is. What, an hour? Because they played multiple games, right? So you're telling me in a crowd of 5,500 people in 2022 America, there's not a single cell phone video. After you like, wouldn't after the fiftieth time the guy screamed the N word? You don't you don't think one person would fucking be recording him? Of course they would. It's it, that's why it was always fake. It was always fake. And he, like you looked at this, you're like, this is ludicrous. So after the investigation, BYU had been had banned a guy from every Cougar. That's the mascot for BYU from every Cougar sporting event. They banned a guy who'd been sitting in the fan section who this apparently volleyball player uh, pointed out. And now BYU has told the Salt Lake Tribune that they have not found evidence that the unidentified spectator was responsible for the slurs. And they have apologized to him. And they said... They have found no evidence to corroborate the allegation that fans, that fans, not just him, that any fans engaged in racial heckling or uttered racial slurs at the event. And here we go. Here's a direct quote from the New York Times. Quote, the Duke's, the Duke player's father, Marvin Richardson, told the New York Times after the game that a slur was repeatedly yelled from the stands as his daughter, Rachel Richardson, was serving and that she feared the raucous crowd. End quote. He did not immediately respond to requests for comment. You know why? He fucking knows that she's full of shit. He knows. And two days after the game, Richardson, she's a sophomore, she said in a statement posted on Twitter that she and her African-American teammates were, quote, targeted and racially heckled throughout the entirety of the match, end quote. And then Duke University, did you see they put out like a three-sentence statement, and they were just like, we stand by our players. <laughs> what are you teaching? You're supposed to be a university. What are you teaching these kids? You're teaching them that you can hurl this and get rewarded for it because nothing's going to happen. She should be expelled. She should absolutely be expelled. She's making you look like fucking morons. She should have been marched out of that school a week ago. Listen to this. As part of the investigation, BYU said they had reviewed security footage and footage taken by the school's television channel with broadcasting audio removed to hear noise from the stands more clearly. Further, they said they had also contacted more than 50 people who attended the event, including athletes and staff for both Duke and BYU, event security, management officials, and many of the fans in the on-court student section. It's according to Richardson, that's where the heckling came from. So did you hear that? They, they, they interviewed athletes from Duke. So presumably, not one of her teammates oh, said, oh, yeah, yeah, I heard the N-word the whole game. <laughs> Dude, this fucking fan should sue the shit out of them. Not that they named him, but still... Yeah, in a statement from Duke, Nina King, the university's vice president, said the school stood by the women's volleyball team. She did not address their university's role in the investigation. Uh, yeah, so, and then she went on to say, we believe in respect, equality, and inclusiveness. Yeah, we don't care about that. We care about 
you is this chick full of shit or not? So the allegations were made during the game. A cop was placed on Duke's bench for the remainder of the match. Um, and then some dipshit coach of the University of South Carolina women's basketball team said she was canceling scheduled games against BYU because of the behavior described at the volleyball game. That never happened. Uh, oh, and she stands by her position, said Dawn Staley, the coach. She put out a new statement saying, quote, I continue to stand to my position. Oh, this is fantastic. She said, I continue to stand by my position. After my personal research, <laughs> I made a decision for the well-being of my team, end quote. Wow. Boy, another, another religious cult. Just say fucking you got took. Guys, it's okay. I respect, some, I respect people so much who's come out and say they were wrong. Did you see what's-his-face? I think he's a big-time college basketball commentator, Jay Billis. He put on on Twitter yesterday, he stands by it, too. He stands by the volleyball player. And he was getting fucking roasted. Just say you got took, dude. I mean, literally, how often do I do these stories? I've done dozens since I started the podcast. Dozens, plural. (laughs) It's great. Uh, BYU put out a statement. If you want to go read that, it's at BYU Athletics. Uh, I'm sorry, it's at BYUCougars.com. If you want to go read that. Um, as a matter of fact, uh, here's just a fucking a few. Um, well, he, here's fucking stupid Jim Acosta right after on August 28th when it came out. And Jim Acosta, of course, swallowed it hook, line, and sinker. Let's yeah, he's stupid as ever. Let's listen a to this. Duke volleyball player is speaking out after she and other black teammates were called racist slurs and threatened during a match against Brigham Young University on Friday. Rachel Richardson wrote in a statement in part... Uh, Friday night in our match against Brigham Young University, my fellow African-American teammates and I were targeted and racially heckled throughout the entirety of the match. Entirety of the match. comments grew into threats, which caused us to feel unsafe. Both the officials and BYU coaching staff were made aware of the incident during the game, but failed to take the necessary steps to stop the unacceptable behavior and create a safe environment. They also failed to adequately address the situation immediately following the game when it was brought to their attention again. No athlete, regardless of their race, should ever be subject to such hostile conditions. Uh, Richardson's godmother tweeted that her goddaughter was called the N-word every time she served, and then a white man told her to watch her back as she went back to the team uh, bus. Just terrible behavior. Uh, Brigham Young Athletics apologized for the incident, saying the fan has now been banned from all BYU athletic uh, venues. And with me now to talk about this is former president and CEO of the NAACP, Cornell William Brooks. Another grifter. Uh, uh, Cornell, thank you so much for talking about this. Uh, I know we uh, scrambled to get you last second, but this is so critically important to talk about. We are 75 years after Jackie Robinson in baseball. Um, Why are athletes still having to deal with this? And and I guess, what is your reaction to what happened? Okay. I'm not even going to bother. I don't care about the NCAA NAACP grifter. Forget about him. Uh, Guys, don't you question the intelligence of media people and activists at this point? Like how can Jim Acosta, like, Forget everything. Oh, and by the way, the important part is you hear the part about how the godmother, she's a big-time like racial activist. People were posting her old tweets, and it was all about white boys and fuck white people and all this shit. So where do you think the behavior came from? But 
Man, I just, even if you didn't know, like immediately, I was like, well, there's got to be video. There's got to be a cell phone video. Repeatedly screaming the N-word in a public venue in 2022 with 5,000 people there. And not a single video. Right there. That's, that just tells you right there. How could you? I, I, it just blows my mind. They want it to be true. They want it to be true so bad. Every time there's a racial, a real one in America, the media, it goes, it goes nationwide. It goes fucking 24-7. I mean, I'll never forget the Don Imus. So you guys remember that? With, was it Virginia Tech? No. No, it was the Rutgers women's basketball team. And Don Imus went on the air and, and called them nappy-headed hoes. You guys remember that? That was no shit. The lead story on every cable news outlet and a lot of broadcast ones for weeks. And I know that because, and I specifically remember turning on the news and being like, holy shit, this is still the lead story. And the only thing that finally fucking pushed it off the air and I remember it specifically, was the Virginia Tech mass shooting by that crazy fucking Asian guy who killed like 30 people. That was the only thing that stopped CNN from covering Don Imus calling somebody a nappy-headed hoe. They fucking love it. It's their bre- They fucking love it, so they want it to be true. Their critical thinking skills are just gone, if they ever had them in the first place. And then, guys, quickly... That is not exclusive to the United States. These uh, fake hate crimes, the race hoaxes, whatever you want to call them. Over in Germany, there's a green politician named Manoj Subramanium. And there were death threats from neo-Nazis against Manoj. They made headlines across Germany. They led to all kinds of tensions in North Rhine-Westphalia. That's Germany's largest state by population. Well, you know how this ends. The counselor from Erklans staged the various threats in an elaborate scheme according to the result of an investigation published by the public prosecutor's office. (laughs) He's 33. His parents immigrated from Sri Lanka. He had submitted numerous complaints. First, his cars were smashed, his car windows were smashed, and swastikas sprayed on the vehicle. Another time, he claimed SS runes, and a swastika was drawn on the doorbell of his house. Then he revealed that a swastika was scrawled on the sidewalk in front of his apartment, and then he found razor blades in the mail. He also received death threats signed by NSU 2.0, referring to the National Socialist Underground. Um... And yeah, I'm looking. At least he got the swastika right. I'll give him that. But yes, according to the German news outlet Focus, um, they said, "quote the according to the Aachen police, I guess it's the local police there." They said, "quote as part of these investigations, the suspicion was confirmed that the reported crimes did not occur, that they were faked, and that there was no threat." End quote. Now they're investigating him. He has resigned. <laughs> oh, it's so great. It's so great. Okay. Is that all I have? Uh, 
well, quickly, guys. I, well, I did have this, and I'm sorry. I should have had this along with the Memphis thing. Uh, I, I should just skip it. But honestly, I'll just play it really quick. Another thing that happened in Memphis was they had a they have a scare going on where after the dude drove around shooting people in Memphis, there was a video of two dudes driving around um, saying that they were going to shoot white people. So I just thought I'd play the clip really quick. And they're still looking for these guys, I think. I Googled it, and I, I didn't see anybody caught. So these are here's the video they were making. Let's uh, listen. Am I cannot, oh, God, am I white? Am I supposed not feel no, like no, black people? No, then no, then no, they finna be, they finna be marching on the river saying white lives matter. Y'all let through. Y'all was just yeah. white folks gonna hate black what, people. I, hate, I hope what, y'all know it. First thing, Eliza Fletcher. Hey, man, take this shit back to racism. I hope y'all ready. First thing with Fletcher. I'm finna go on here, go Zemo, number white people. I get any white hole on the side of me don't get popped tonight. Right. He already yeah. shot a white old man. I'm gonna shoot a white old lady. Shit. No, While not. grandkids are cops. No, uh, well, if you, if you guys speak English as a second language, you might not understand that. But I, being a African American urban dialect expert, basically he's threatening to shoot white people, and he doesn't care if there's a grandmother or the kids are in a car. He sounds really educated, doesn't he? <laughs> On God, I'm fitting to blow white people up. Yeah. And he also mentioned Zeke. I don't know if you caught that. And that was, of course, the guy who actually killed four people. Uh, I'm tired of On God, okay? The rappers are overdoing it, uh, and just, I'm, I'm tired of it. I don't mind fitting to be. Um, if you are outside the United States, that is a kind of short for fixing to be, which means I am preparing to do an action. So instead of saying, I am preparing to do X, it's, I finna be X, okay? So if you guys need any other translations, let me know. I'm kind of an expert. Okay. <laughs> Boy, I spent a l- way more time on some of this stuff than I meant to, but it was just too funny. Uh, lighten it up quickly. Guest caught masturbating at Disneyland Paris. <laughs> 6 p.m., A 21-year-old man was seen masturbating in his pants while watching a video on his phone while in front of a popular attraction. Disneyland Paris security intervened and called the police. Well, at least he heard my advice and he didn't take his pants all the way down or take his penis all the way out. So, yeah. Oh, wait a minute. Well, he is getting charged for exposure in front of minors, though. Hmm. So... Yeah, I wonder where he's getting off to. Like, something made him say, like, oh, something got him going, and that's when he turned to the porn on the phone. So he saw some hot chick, some hot MILF, something like that. All right. Uh, Let's see. Let's keep going quickly. As I said, um, it was hot as shit out here. Uh, It was historic heat. And it was hot, man. I tell you, like I was sitting in here, and so I only have an, a window AC because I live right, right on the beach. And traditionally, these places, these apartments are not made with central cooling. You have like a wall heater, and if you have one of the right windows for it, which many people do not, you can get a window AC. So it was very, very hot, and Gavin Newsom is literally the luckiest guy in the world because this hurricane hit, yes, a hurricane on the West Coast, came up from Mexico, and it dumped a bunch of rain on it on us yesterday and today. And brought the temperature down uh, extremely well. And uh, evening outages did occur in three Bay Area cities. Palo Alto, Petaluma, and Haldsburg. 
And yes, and they were begging us to conserve and all this. And it's like, and again, they, I'm not even going to bother with the comeback. It's all like, we need to conserve. We need green energy. Not one fucking person has said, hey, we need some more friggin' power plants, maybe. A few unknown Republicans. Um, yeah. So now they have a, I think I told you guys this, you know, LA, Los Angeles, they have a chief, they, they have a new chief heat officer. <laughs> So she goes out every day. She's like, hey, it's hot. And she goes, now where's my $200,000 salary and benefits? Hey, it's hot. Yep. So very good. And there's are going, uh, fires are going on all over the place too in California. So the rain blunted some of that. Let us hear from stupid Gavin Newsom wearing a fleece, by the way, while he's giving this, which many people pointed out. Here he was begging everybody to shut off their air conditioning the hottest part of the day. California and many other western states are experiencing unprecedented temperatures. is on track to be both the hottest and the longest on record for this state and many parts of the west for the month of September. Californians, you've stepped up to help in a big way to keep the lights on so far, but we're heading we're heading to the worst part of this heat wave and the risk for outages is real and it's immediate. These triple-digit temperatures throughout much of our state are, are leading, not surprisingly, to record demand on the energy grid. Everyone has to do their part to help step up. Why don't just you do your days. part? Individuals, the state, industries, business, all doing their part to help reduce strain on the grid. Now, here's specifically what you can do in the early morning hours, particularly tomorrow and the next day or so. Pre-cool your home. Run your air conditioning earlier in the day when more power is available. And we encourage you to close your windows and blinds to keep your home cool as well. And today and tomorrow afternoon after 4 p.m., in particular 4 p.m., please turn your thermostat up to 78 degrees or higher. Absolutely And not. avoid to the extent possible using any really large appliances. You can visit flexalert.org to learn more. Uh, yeah, shut up, shut up. You know, he wanted to close down the last uh, nuclear power plant here in Diablo Canyon. He wanted to, but again, he wants to be president. Every action he does should be seen through that lens. So he extended it for five more years. Uh, a couple other clips. Ron DeSantis uh, enjoyed himself with this a little bit. Let's hear from Governor of Florida. You hear all this stuff. I mean, I hear a lot of people chirping about Florida from, like, California. They're so worried about Florida. They can't even keep the power on in California. I mean, are you kidding me? Someone told me that they will be able, once all the people that want to move to Florida move out of there, then maybe they'll have uh, adequate power. But, I mean, it's just, it's just ridiculous. And so, you know, we've been able to do that. Part of it, though, is just, you know, we stood for people's rights. We stood for people's freedom. Okay, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, I mean, it gets pretty hot in Florida. I've been in Florida in the summer. It's fucking, it's 10 times worse than here. Uh, and as long as we're talking about energy, of course, you have to hear from the fanatics. Here's Biden Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen talking about, hey, uh, we're going to get rid of all oil and gas. Our plan, powered by the Inflation Reduction Act, represents the largest investment in fighting climate change in our country's history. And it will put us well on our way toward a future where we depend on the wind, the sun, and other clean sources of energy. <laughs> we will rid ourselves from our current dependence on fossil fuels. No, you won't. Not in our lifetimes. Okay, let me stop her there. Not in our lifetimes. And oh, by the way, you know what's funny? So yesterday was when everybody woke up to the rain. Right and the, and the dramatically cool temperature, 
The funny thing is, we still had one of those flex alerts and then turn off your thermostat after 4 p.m. shit. Because guess what? It was cloudy and the solar fucking power wasn't working. I mean, dude, you can't make this up. Not one person. This is what kills me. Again, not one person said, hey, maybe we should make sure we have enough electricity while we're trying to explore viable alternative options to fossil fuels. But in the meantime, in the meantime, maybe we should just have enough. The oil's right there in the ground. Fucking take it out. We got a shitload of it. Um, uh, and then Biden, energy secretary, this idiot, Jennifer Granholm. She was the former, was she the governor of Michigan, I think? Something like that. Yeah, so she's talking about uh, how California is uh, showing everything, showing the way to go California here. California is in the lead, can show the rest of the nation how it is done. Ah. Warning just coming in from Cal ISO, who runs the power grid in the state. They say they expect demand for electricity to... Uh, a little fun, uh, little fun back-to-back comparison. Though. Here is, uh, and here's the same chick talking about California's ban on gas-powered vehicles. Do you think what California is doing could or should be a national model? Could be, could be. I mean, you know, I know every state is different and you always have to respect what the states are doing. But uh, I do think that once people, I mean, California has gotten more used to electric vehicles uh, and we have to bring down the price of electric vehicles so that everybody can access them. And this is why it's uh, great that there's a $4,000 tax credit, for example, on used electric vehicles that has just been adopted through the inflation. How much is a new battery? Okay, yeah, so she's, uh, she's all in. And by the way, they, people think like, well, California's showing the way. But nobody follows what we do. We, we had that California Air Resources Board pass that uh, Global Climate Change Act. Like It was what, like 10, 15 years ago, and not another single state did the same thing. And that, that act made us cut down and do all this stuff. By the way, the banning, I forgot to mention this, I think, when I talked about it the other week. So the banning gas-powered cars... Supposedly, remember, by 2035, only gas, uh, I'm sorry, only electric vehicles will be allowed to be sold in the state, okay? But the thing that a lot of headlines and media left out is this is an incremental plan, and by like, I think it's by 2025, so like a little over three years, something like 35% of new vehicles in the state are going to be required to be electric vehicles, and we're nowhere fucking close to that right now. So remember, again, that's why you guys listen to this show, because I give you the detail. That is even more untenable than 2035, because that's only a couple of years away. All right, let's do a few quick headlines, and I'll have some more fun stuff for you guys here. Uh, Miss Teen Canada died skydiving. Sad. Yeah, 21-year-old Tanya Pardazzi died on August 27th after failing to release her parachute early during her first solo dive at Skydive Toronto in Ontario. She was a TikTok influencer, nearly 100,000 followers. I'm sorry, she was a Teen Canada finalist in 2017. Uh, yes. <clears throat> what happened? I think the, I think they fucked up this headline because then they said, well, her uh, chute was supposed to automatically open. Now, yes, in case you didn't know, parachutes have an automatic opening device. And they are supposed to activate when if you're still going at a certain rate of speed at a certain altitude, they will open, like the reserve. 
They said her main didn't open. But she didn't pull it? Hmm. Um, customers would... S the course says on its website, this is Skydive Toronto, they say on their website customers would static skydive with the chute set to open automatically? Okay, the static line is a static line. It pulls the chute as you exit the aircraft. So, yeah, everything's wrong here. I don't really know the... Um, oh, here we go. Here's the quote on the website itself. Daily Mail has it. Quote, this course includes a skydive from 4,000 feet. Okay. So, normal skydiving, you guys, is like 12, 13,000 feet. That's the free fall. So, this is a static line jump. Uh, this goes on to say, quote, Dispatched by a jump master, you will exit the airplane attached to a static line, which automatically deploys your main parachute during a fall of up to five seconds. End quote. Okay. So, did that static line fail? And then in the main, the reserve didn't activate? Hmm. According to Skydive Toronto... She released a quickly uh, released a quickly rotating main parachute at a low altitude without the time or altitude required for the reserve parachute. Okay, so the static line failed, and the reserve came out. I don't know if she activated it or not. Probably it was the automatic opening device, but that reserve parachute then failed and she died. So that's sad. Uh, speaking of other deaths, eight tourists were killed on an active volcano after a plunge at 14,000 feet. Yeah, they were. Uh, this was the Klochevskia Sopka volcano in Russia's far east. The group of 12 included two guides set off to climb the 15,597-foot volcano on Tuesday, but ran into trouble when six of them fell 14,000 feet to their deaths. One person is also thought to have broken a leg. Two more people have since died as crews battled to get to them because there was a huge fucking storm that came up with uh, icy winds at 70 miles an hour. I can think of a bazillion other places I'd like to go in some Siberian volcano for a vacation. And then there was the Bed Bath and Beyond CFO, the chief financial officer. Did you see him fucking jump to his death? 52-year-old Gustavo Arnal, the CFO of Bed Bath and Beyond, uh, jumped from 18 stories up in Tribeca, New York City. And he had just sold 42,153 shares of stock on August 16th. That netted him, after paying taxes, a little over a million dollars. In 2021, his total compensation was more than $2.9 million. He used to be the chief financial officer for Avon, and he was an executive for Procter & Gamble. It's kind of weird, dude. Like, really? Your fucking job is makes you jump to your death? They said he was, like, kind of stressed out from work again i don't know why like who cares about your job it's not your life and now uh, by the way he he was being sued for allegedly inflating the company's stock price in a pump and dump scheme hmm. that suit was filed on august 23rd that's probably more of a reason for it 
so, yeah, they were um, a lawsuit claims that Gustavo Arnal must release materially misleading statements and omissions about the company's financial standing. And then that's when he sold his stock and that caused the stock also to plummet, leaving other shareholders out of around $1.2 billion. See what's happening there? Yeah, usually if you guys don't know, it's mandatory that insiders disclose their stock sales. So the insiders would be anybody working in a company. You have to, like the upper management and stuff. So usually when it comes out that a, if an executive has sold a shitload of stock, it's generally seen as a bad thing for the stock. So then the stock will often drop in price. So hope that helps. All right, a couple other clips here for you guys. A lot of you sent me this. This is the new Safety Act in uh, Chicago. Well, it's for the whole it's for the whole state of Illinois, and this is the mayor, a mayor of um, one town here. I don't have what town, but this is a guy named Keith Pecow. Let's say what he is. It says he Grand Prairie Police and a star on his uh, shirt he's wearing. So the Safety Act is basically abolishes cash bail for almost every offense. But let's listen to. Him tell it here, part of it. I can't even begin to tell you how dangerous this act is. First, it was passed in the middle of the night with 40 minutes to read an 800-page bill, which is unacceptable. As of January 1st, 2023, the following things will go into effect, and people need to be aware of this. It abolishes cash bail for almost every offense. This includes, but isn't limited to, kidnapping, armed robbery, second-degree murder, drug-induced homicide, aggravated DUI, threatening a public official, and aggravated fleeing and eluding. Offenders released on electronic monitoring have to be in violation for 48 hours before law enforcement can act. They could almost drive to Alaska before we can even look for them. It denies victims their constitutional rights, and keep this in mind, businesses and homeowners, officers will no longer be able to remove trespassers from your resident, residence or your businesses. Someone could decide to live wow. in your shed, and all we can do is give them a ticket. You have to decide what level of force is required to remove them. There you go. Weapons legal. free, boys. This is a massive threat to the residents of Orland Park, Cook County, and Illinois. I want to remind voters that several elected officials that will be on the ballot in Orland Park voted for this abomination. Senator Michael Hastings, Senator Emile Jones, you go, call and Representative out. Justin Slaughter all voted to put criminals ahead of the safety of law-abiding citizens. In okay, I'm going to stop him there. But again, you guys, this is the, this is the social justice. This is the equity cult. <coughs> this is yet another one of these trends that's sweeping all the academic circles. It's not enough to let everyone out of jail. We also have to prevent anyone from going to jail. And they really fucking believe this. Because you know why? Because there's, big air quotes here, too many people in jail. Particularly from marginalized communities. That's why. Dude, I don't care what color you are. Do you feel like hurt somebody, kill, especially violent crime? Like, I can see some of this stuff, like, you know prostitution. I mean, come on. Fairly victimless. Unless there's like child trafficking involved, obviously. But you know what I mean. You know, gambling. 
But like a violent crime, you should fucking have stiff fucking penalties for. And I don't understand these people, especially like the people of color activists. Like, dude, they're fanatics about getting criminals out of prison. Where do you think those criminals end back up? They don't end back up in Beverly Hills or the Hamptons. They end back up in those POC communities. So, so I, don't, I don't understand it. And those POC communities apparently will not vote any other way. So I can't help you with that. Uh, just a couple other clips. These are all from Instagram. Don't they? Uh, UFC is tonight. UFC 279. And I'm not going to... There was a big scan. There was a fight backstage and all that shit. And then they had to change opponents because Nate Diaz, my man from Stockton, California, total thug. I love him. His opponent missed weight by like eight pounds, which professional fighting is like absurd. Like, you know, it's... Guys miss weight sometimes, but it's like by a couple of ounces or half a pound. Eight pounds means you didn't want to fight. You had no interest in it. And uh, so... But they changed, they got him an opponent at the last minute who was ready to go. Nate Diaz is the headliner of this UFC tonight. So Joe Rogan asked him, Nate Diaz, about what he thought of the uh, upcoming fight. And I loved his fucking answer. Of course, he's classic. Let's listen to it. been around a long time we should have fought a long time ago khabib's bitch ass was afraid of him just like this bitch ass motherfucker was afraid of me yesterday we punked his bitch ass in the back here and now he don't make not make way you know what i'm saying you guys already know what it is real g's come from california america motherfucker (laughs) (laughs) Uh, i've always loved nate diaz dude he's like so thug it's great Oh man. Um Oh dude, really? Did fucking Oh, I'm sad. I had another one. Um if you guys didn't uh for some reason they logged me out of this. So let me explain. So so I don't have Instagram on my iPad because whenever I tried to open up an Instagram link, it would always take me to the app, which is what I don't want. So I would just airdrop stuff from my phone where I do have Instagram onto my iPad. And I have open tabs like I do with Twitter, open tabs. So I was going to play the entire thing I put up on, on Instagram this week on my stories of that fucking pedophile who was caught by the pedophile hunter. You see the Asian guy, for those of you guys who follow me. And I had it lined up and I debated playing it because a lot of stuff you can't, you really have to see it to believe it. I thought it was staged. But it was this Asian guy confronted in a grocery store by this, like, pedo catcher, one of those guys. <laughs> he just starts, and he starts screaming and, like, running away. He's like, why are you doing this to me? And, and then he fucking gets in his car. He falls down, says he wants to take a shit. And that's when I thought it was, I was like, okay, this is fake. But then he gets in his car, and he backs up and hits a huge curb, and the car goes flying, and then he gets tackled running out of it. It was the whole thing. But again, a lot of it was visual, so maybe it's um, fate that the tab. But anyway, the Instagram logged me out of that open tab, so I don't know what happened there. But uh, that's why you have to follow me at BK Actual. That was a that was a classic. I mean, every time I thought it was like reaching the pinnacle, it would just kick it up a notch. Which those are my favorite clips. How much time? Okay, let's keep going quickly. Um, 
Let's talk about the special duty pay cut for airmen. Yes. That's right. Hundreds of enlisted airmen. Notice enlisted airmen. See anything about officers in there? They face pay cuts of up to $5,400 a year due to fiscal constraints facing the Air Force. The Pentagon has asked Congress to give fewer airmen the extra monthly compensation known as special duty assignment pay in fiscal year 2023. That money ranges from $75 a month to $450 a month. And yes, it is offered to troops in particularly grueling or important jobs. And it also uses that pay to entice airmen to remain in those fields. So monthly bonus pay for 30,845 airmen will cost the Air Force an estimated $90 million. That, by the way, is the lowest ask in at least two years. So that's fucking ridiculous for me. Um, you know, you, what, you're facing a recruiting crisis and now you're going to cut the enlisted pay of some of the most important jobs. It's fucking absurd. But meanwhile, the pilots who run the Air Force have no problem throwing some another fucking, what, 500 fucking million dollars down the drain for an F-35 that we're never going to use in combat in our lifetimes because combat isn't like that anymore. I don't know, maybe one day we'll use it against China. Great. So I'm glad to have them. But instead of like 100, I'm sure we could have 99 because drones are doing most of the heavy lifting these days. Let's be honest. Uh, I don't have all the detail. I don't have the whole list of jobs in front of me. I will tell you that pararescue is not affected. It's not on the list. If you want to know more, uh, head over to the Ones Ready Instagram account. Because they've put out a few videos on, like, who exactly is affected. And it doesn't, like, phase out right away. And then they offer increases. And typical, it's extremely overly complex. And I don't have time to get into it. But they go into it in great detail. So I recommend you go check that out. Uh, also in the military, but the Israeli military. Let's talk about this guy, Lieutenant Colonel Dan Sharoni. Military prosecutors have squashed a plea deal for him. He is an Israeli military officer facing over 70 counts of sex crimes. Guess what he was doing, you guys? Filming his female subordinates while nude without their knowledge. And they had a plea deal. They had it ready to go, the prosecutors. But then all the, his victims got super pissed, so they're back, uh, they backed off of it. Um, the deal, <clears throat> some of the victims support, this deal would have Sharoni confess to the charges and be sentenced to several years in prison, denoted to the rank of private, he's a lieutenant colonel, and be required to pay compensation. However, the deal would have seen Sharoni benefit from a significant military pension despite him being too young. He is two years away from the required age for military pension, and his sentencing trial would therefore have been scheduled for April of 2024. And military pensions over there are uh, generous. Now, according to the indictment, he used numerous hidden cameras, including some placed inside phone chargers, to film soldiers under his command, often installing them in their barracks and showers. He is also accused of taking soldiers' phones um, to for for 
you know, for innocent reasons and then looking through them to see if they had nude or intimate photos on them and then copying those to his own device. The indictment lists 49 victims, both female and male. He also installed the devices in homes, including his own. In addition, he was accused of entering some of his victims' rooms while they slept and masturbating while filming them. (laughs) I didn't even know that was in there. What the fuck? Dude, the filming's bad enough. Wow. The lieutenant colonel's jacking it over the female private as she sleeps away. Jesus. Unbelievable, dude. Okay. I'm a little thrown off from that. I did not expect that. Um... Yes, thank you for the many of you who sent this to me. Nigerian officials intercept 7,000 smuggled donkey penises at an international airport after a smell from a sack aroused suspicion. Guess where they were going? Yes, they were going to Hong Kong. Customs officers in Lagos intercepted them. And yes, this is another one of those stupid things. They're used to make Chinese medicine. Boy, they love fucking, boy, the myth of the Chinese medicine. Is is that never, ever going to die? Ever? It's worth, the shipment was worth an estimated 416,000 British pounds. This story's in the British tabloid. The illicit trade of donkey parts including penises from Nigeria to China, is common. And the suspect managed to escape somehow. The animal parts are used in China to make a traditional medicine called Aishao. And I'm sure it has something to do with fucking making erections. Uh, Isn't that what everything is in the Chinese medicines? Like rhinoceros horn, elephant ivory. Isn't it all about fucking guys trying to get hard-ons? I'm pretty sure it is. All right. Uh, By the way, human feces and human urine has covered San Francisco Bay in a giant algae bloom. It first appeared in July. And officials are saying that that treated human waste from 8 million residents is what is fueling the bloom. They're saying this is going to cost $14 billion to stop the growth of huge algae bloom. Oh wait, let me let me yeah, let me back that up. It's not to it's not to clean it up. The 14 billion dollars would ha- would go to updating all of the 37 uh human waste treatment plants in the region and that 14 billion dollars would limit the amount of nutrients dumped into the bay. Okay, there you go. And um of course, scientists uh, scientists say the bloom was triggered by climate change. <laughs> no. But now the size, amount of organisms, and how long it has lasted is due to human waste. There are no sewage leaks. This is just how they do it. They treat the water and they dump it into the bay. All right. Yep. Algae bloom, man. Um, yeah, that's uh, poop and piss. Lots of it. A uh, California neo-Nazi is arrested in Poland for posing outside Auschwitz with a sign reading, quote, suck six million dicks, end quote, and a swastika necklace. 38-year-old John Mideo, Minadeo. 
Yeah, Polish criminal law prohibits Nazi paraphernalia, hate speech, and promotion of totalitarian regimes. Uh, he is known for his bigoted pranks in the United States. Uh, Minadeo was last seen on video berating a South Asian man for, quote, ruining Europe, end quote. He also reportedly picked a fight with a Polish man who told him that wearing the Nazi symbol was illegal. Oh, well, you're doing fucking great, aren't you? Is this, this, is, this is your life? Was there a clip here? It is the Daily... Uh, it's the Daily Mail not going to play this video? Come on. Guys, I show up here every week. I'm ready. Why is the technology constantly letting me down? Why? It's not that hard. All you got to do is play a friggin' video, dude. How about this one? Is this one going to play? No. Daily Mail just shit the bed. Yeah, I show up every week. You guys, just like last week, the Apple thing. God, the, the Apple would not update for days. And then they finally did it with no explanation. <clears throat> okay, I got to get to some other stuff. I got tons of clips to play, too. Did you did you guys see the Australian dude? There's an 18-year-old. He was accused of robbing a Gold Coast gas station at Knife Point. He demanded money, allegedly, from a shop attendant while armed with a machete. So he gets out on bail. And as he's walking out, he's confronted with the media by the media. And this clip is doctored, which I hate to use normally. They bleep out all the curse words, but it is pretty funny because he's such an a-hole. Let me, let me paint the picture of what he looks like. He's a skinny white boy. He's wearing a CK Calvin Klein jeans t-shirt and a backwards, probably fake, Gucci baseball cap. And he looks like just a total fuck-ass. Let me play this clip as the reporters get to him. Walking out, giving giving the reporters the finger. Do you have anything to say about last night? I robbed the store down. Why'd you get arrested then at the store? Because I was around there, you sped. <laughs> you seven news. You nine news. Do you think it's gonna look good on the news carrying on like a total? I don't give a fuck. I didn't do shit. So fuck off. Are you gonna be fighting the charges? Yes. Now he comes back. Round two, let's go. Give me the more. No, no, no. I don't rub that store, so you guys can go jamming up your ass. Are you on anything now? No. Do you remember anything that happened last night? Yes, I remember everything. Walking home and I get arrested for some bullshit I didn't do. No, bro, you're retarded. Why would I go rob a store and then walk through the park and walk back to the place I just robbed? How's your night in the watch house? Oh, yeah, pretty good, eh? Yeah. Your mum came around and she came visit me. And I had a pretty good time, to be honest, yeah. What are you going to do today? Probably go see her again. It sounds like a good idea to me. Are you going to go back to the watch house? No, I'm going to go see his mum. Then I'm going to go see your sister. Oh, your sister. Oh, sorry. But you will in nine months, won't you? You don't get the joke, because you're a <laughs> artist. <laughs> now now he's sucking on a vape. <laughs> Yeah, got it. It's a anyway. All right, stop up there. I did appreciate it. He came out. I, I, I texted this immediately to a couple of Australian friends. I was like, is this what all Australian guys are like? Too funny. All right. Four-star general says Americans are too obese or criminal to join the armed forces. Enlistment is at its lowest point since after the Vietnam War. Of course, I wrote about this for Vet TV. So you guys got to go over there. That was by Lieutenant General Xavier. Could be Javier. Brunson. I think it's Xavier. I don't, it doesn't look like a uh, 
Uh, I think he's a black guy. He's not a, a Hispanic dude. So I think it's Xavier. Yep, he's the commander of Joint Lewis, Joint Base Lewis McCord in Washington State, home of uh, one of the Ranger regiments. And he was theorizing why it's so cool. He said, quote, some of the challenges we have are obesity, we have pre-existing medical conditions, we have behavioral health problems, we have criminality, people with felonies, and we have drug use. This is not an army problem, this is an American problem, end quote. Yep, as in the article, it's now down to 23% of people that are of age to serve are actually qualified. And that's down from 29% like 10 years ago. What's it going to be in five more years? All right. Um, let's keep going here. A couple uh, more uh, big stories. Oh, the Trump thing. Let's talk about that really quick because I don't even understand. It's honestly kind of boring to me. I don't even understand it. But ju the judge has granted Trump's request for a special master to review Mar-a-Lago documents. This is seen as a win for him because the ruling also effectively barred federal prosecutors from using key pieces of evidence as they continue to investigate whether Mr. Trump illegally retained national defense documents at his estate, Mar-a-Lago, in Florida. And that decision was made by Judge Eileen Cannon of the Federal District Court for the Southern District of Florida, all the resistance libs on Twitter promptly shit themselves. This is an outrage, blah, blah, blah. Same old, same old shit they always do. Um, so I never heard of this special master thing. So what is it? Well, it is a person appointed by a judge to assist the court with its proceedings. A special master is selected to help with a particular matter or case in contrast to a standing master who is installed to help on a continuing basis. Masters can hold proceedings and then make reports or recommendations with the which the judges can accept or reject. So why are they employed? Why are they even exist? There are a couple reasons. Sometimes a case raises a complex problem that requires specific expertise, such as computing damages owed to different people in large-scale lawsuit. They also may be appointed to perform tasks are, that are so time-consuming that a judge or a magistrate does not have the ability or the time to handle them. For example, judges may install special masters to sift through seized records when the FBI has carried out search warrants targeting lawyers or law firms. In those cases, there is a strong possibility that they will seize a significant amount of material that is subject to attorney-client privilege that agents working on an investigation should generally not see. Now, you guys understand why they have it? Because not only is that attorney-client privilege point relevant, but also some of these documents are classified. And judges don't have, a lot of them don't, they don't have uh, classification rights. They don't have top-secret clearances. So the judge themselves would not be able to see some of these materials. So that's why they have the special master. Uh, who can be one? Well, it can, it's usually uh, retired judges or people who have stepped down as partners in big law for, firms. Um, barring that, it might be a uh, law professor, uh, but usually that's like a last-minute resort. Uh, for example, a former federal judge, Barbara Jones, was appointed as a special master to weed out files protected by attorney-client privilege after the FBI conducted searches targeting two of Mr. Trump's personal lawyers, Michael Cohen and Rudolph Giuliani. 
Oh, here we go. See the New York Times? I'm way ahead of you. How will classified materials play into this? Well, that many of the documents the FBI sees were marked as classified does significantly narrow the pool of people Judge Cannon, who's overseeing the case, might appoint. That, in turn, could slow the process of identifying an appropriate person. So it's got to be... Oh, here we go. I, I, was, I was sort of right and I was sort of wrong. Federal judges are exempt from needing a security clearance to see classified material relevant to their cases. Okay. Although their clerks and assistances, <laughs> assistances, although their clerks and assistants do have to receive clearance. Okay. So yeah, a federal judge is exempt. I guess they can see fucking anything if it's under their jurisdiction. Uh, and then quickly, more on the Trump thing. Uh, Steve Bannon is pleading not guilty in New York charges in the Build the Wall case. This is a weird thing, dude. He was in that, he was, Steve Bannon was part of that crowdfunding. Remember it was called We Build the Wall? And it was organized with like him and Brian Koflage, that like triple amputee Air Force guy with the fucking hot ass wife. Yeah, and they like raised all this money to build a wall and I don't know why this isn't in Manhattan jurisdiction at all. Um, but he's been accused by Manhattan prosecutors of defrauding Americans who wanted to contribute to that wall. So they say he played a role in the organization, integral role, of We Build the Wall, Inc. And... They say Bannon funded, funneled more than 100000 in donations to the organization's president, Brian Koflage, who had repeatedly promised not to take a salary. And they also said Bannon had personally profited as well. So the, the, the crazy thing in this, and I'm not taking a side either way, because it was like Koflage himself was a scam artist for sure. But nobody, like, complained. Like, they don't have people who donated the money saying, like, he defrauded me. They just, like, kind of took this on themselves. Koflage said, uh, back in it when, they, when he started raising, they said he had said he'd raised $20 million from 339,000 people. Um, but, yeah, but now they're just saying, like, um, look... First of all, they they actually did build like they poured. I've seen pictures of it. Now it's all rotting away because they never finished it. But they they poured a shitload of concrete. There there is wall up there. Like they were building. So I'm curious to see like how were they uh, how were they defrauded? Hmm. So and. What donor has complained? Because I don't think, as far as what I've read, there aren't any. There, there aren't any donors who complained. So how could? Why is the government stepping in on this at all? I don't get it. And you know what the fucking the, the irony is? Black Lives Matter. They haven't fucking spent a nickel on anything that you can see. They've got, they've got like, they raised like tens of millions of dollars. That one dude stole $10 million all by himself, right? Where's the investigation of them? They haven't spent anything on it. They haven't spent shit on shit except themselves, at least at the build the wall dope. He actually was building something. Like there's physical evidence of something being built using the money. So I don't get it. But he's pleading not guilty. So that'll be interesting to watch. 
Oh, and guys, another piece I wrote for Vet TV, my first article, titled by me, of course, Hookers and Semen, the Fat Leonard Trial. Great title, I know. Double entendre, I believe that's called. Fat Leonard. I wrote all about the trial though, because it was happening here in San Diego. Well, he was three weeks away from his sentencing date because he was found guilty. Fat Leonard, otherwise known as Leonard Glenn Francis, he cut off his GPS monitor and he fucking bailed. And he's gone. <laughs> you believe these fucking federal guys watching him? Ugh. This is one of the United States Navy's longest running scandals. Again, you should go to Vet TV, look for the blog, look for BK's articles. I, I got to put that in my Instagram bio and I will, I promise. But uh, yeah, he cut, he's gone, dude. He was being watched by the Federal Pretrial Services Department. I never heard of them before. They were monitoring their device. They notified the San Diego Police Department and the U.S. Marshal Service. Get this. Neighbors told the Marshal Service that they had seen U-Haul trucks going in and out of Francis's house in the days leading up to the escape. <laughs> he lived in a multi, multi-million dollar home in a gated community. I think he was living on Coronado Island, if you guys know that. He's 57 years old. He was facing up to 25 years in prison. Uh, yeah, that, that case goes way back, dude. As of January, more than two dozen people had pleaded guilty in the scheme. And yeah, it, was, it, it basically all had to do with prostitutes. He gave them so many prostitutes. And it was like admirals and Navy um, contract approvers, stuff like that. So... But he's, they think he's gone. They think he might be already back in fucking Asia. And if he is, yeah, good luck getting him out. Uh, a Las Vegas area Air Force commander has open Fox 5 San Diego. Boy, you guys, I don't know what the fuck is with my... It's not my internet. It's just like the page stops work. Here we go. It's because of all the goddamn pop-ups. Police have arrested a U.S. Air Force commander who works at Nellis Air Force Base on felony sex charges. Kevin DeFalco faces seven counts of lewdness with a child under 18. He was commander of the 57th Operations Support Squadron and an F-16 pilot. He has been removed from his position. He was arrested at his off-base residence September 8th and is under investigation by the Las Vegas Metro Police Department. How about that? And they're really not releasing any details because there's a juvenile involved. Um, let me see here. Anything? No. Yeah, I don't see it. That's, that's about it, but that's a, that's a big deal. And he was a commander, too, so that's a, that's an even bigger deal. Oh, man, so good. Okay, uh, I'm not going to even have time to get into the political roundup like I had planned, so I'm just going to play just a few clips. I thought this one was funny. Remember I told you about the new the new president of Kenya? Yeah, that was William Ruto. Talked about that election like a week or two ago. Well, he was interviewed by Christiana Amanpour from CNN, and all she wanted to know about was the gays. Okay, she doesn't care about anything else. And, and I want you to hear his answer because it's pretty funny because she was interviewing him and then one of his uh, minions comes in too. Let's listen to this exchange. I want to talk to you about a specific, you know, human rights 
situation in parts of Africa and including in your own country. You yourself gained worldwide attention a few years ago when you said there was, quote, no room for homosexuality in Kenyan society. I want to know whether you still stand by that. We have um, Kenyan law. We have Kenyan constitution. We have our tradition. We have our customs. We will continue to respect other people's customs as they respect our customs and our tradition. Yeah. I am um, very clear. I am very clear that we respect everybody and what they believe in. But we also have what we believe in. And we expect to be respected for what we believe in. So before I ask you to flesh that out and what exactly does it mean, I want to play you what President Kenyatta said to me about this issue. I will not engage in a subject that is of no, it, uh, it, it is not of any major importance to the people and the Republic of Kenya. This is not an issue, as you would want to put it, of um, human rights or this. This is an issue of society, of our own base as a culture, as a people, regardless of which community you come from. This is not acceptable. This is not agreeable. So he's basically saying homosexuality is not agreeable. You've just said that you're kind of trying to thread the needle, that the law says one thing, but you respect everybody's rights. Will a Ruto administration crack down, like many other leaders in Africa, on the homosexual LGBTQ community? Or will you allow them their human rights and their civil rights? I think on that subject, President Kenyatta was spot on. Spot on. We don't want to create a mountain out of a molehill. This is not a, a big issue for the people of Kenya. When the people of, when it becomes a big issue for the people of Kenya, the people of Kenya will make a choice. As it is now, we are grappling with five million young people who do not have jobs, four million people who are hungry, and that is my concern. That is the focus of the people of Kenya at the moment. When the issue you have discussed about homosexuality and the rights of LGBT will come, the people of Kenya will make a choice, and we will respect the choice of the people of Kenya. For now, Christian Amanpo, let us focus on the real issues that affect our people. <laughs> I love you know, yeah, so yeah, and then she keeps going. She keeps going. He's like, "Look, this is not a fucking big deal." And you know, it's I got you got to love it. White liberals in America fucking jizz themselves over africa constantly right like oh my god we feel so bad the colonies the slavery blah 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 blah. but then like if it comes to the gays because many fucking countries in africa have laws like that all of a sudden they're like per they're like uh, enemy number one i just think it's funny and i got a i got a the kamala harris one first of all kamala harris claims she didn't eat her first grape until she was in her 20s in solidarity with farm unions Boycotting. <laughs> uh, does anybody believe that? Jeez. It's ridiculous. She just makes shit up. And then, of course, this great clip of her was going around about something. Let's just listen to this word salad. Today, the 
business of our work is for the council to report on the work that has occurred since our last meeting across these areas. We will today also discuss the work yet ahead, the work we must still do to continue to move forward. <laughs> what work? What? Who talks like this? Uh, Pete Ducey confronted uh, Karine Jean-Pierre, the hapless, bumbling White House uh, press uh, correspondent. And she was finally asked, because before she was the press secretary, she was on Twitter and she called Trump a fake president. She's an election denier, right? So... Finally, somebody, and of course only Pete Ducey would ask this, he asked her about it. Let's hear this. A follow-up about the MAGA Republican attention. So if we're all in agreement that it is incorrect to say the 2020 election was stolen, what about the 2016 election? Look, I'm not going to go back to where we were or what happened in 2016. We're going to focus on the here and now. We're going to focus on what's happening today, uh, this inflection point that the president pointed out uh, very clearly, very decisively uh, in, in a few speeches about what the country needs to do at this time to bring the country together. And he believes that's where majority of Americans are when it comes to protecting our democracy, when it comes to protecting our rights, and when it comes to protecting our freedoms. That's what we're going to talk about that's what we're going to focus on on where we are at today okay so in other words she's not going to talk about it but yeah she put out on twitter many tweets about trump being a fake president and uh, donald um, yeah John, he didn't belong he's a russian stooge all, all that shit i haven't played this guy yet i've been avoiding it because i really don't care who the senator of pennsylvania is but this giant lumbering fucking guy john fetterman is running for senator of pennsylvania and he's probably going to win only because his opponent is possibly the worst candidate i've ever seen that's dr oz but this guy's probably going to win and this guy's funny he lived off his parents i looked him up on wikipedia he was basically a he taught school but he didn't make much money, so his very wealthy family was giving him uh, like $60,000 a year to live on, too. He grew up privileged, um, another rich kid trying to atone for his wealthy upbringing. Somebody put together, you know, he had a stroke a while ago. And so somebody put together in a little montage here, and people are like kind of questioning, like, is he going to be able to like make a speech or debate anybody? So let's listen to John Fetterman. Please understand the stakes in this race. Send me to Washington, D.C. to send so I can work with Senator Casey and I can champion the union way of life in Jersey, in, excuse me, in D.C. Thank you. Thank you very much. And it's an honor. I live eight minutes away from here. And when I leave tonight, I got three miles away. Dr. Oz in his mansion in New Jersey. You've got a friend and you have an ally. Send me to Washington, D.C. Thank you very much. Thank you, Steelworkers. Okay. All right. Let me read. That was not a montage. That was not edited. That was just the way it was. So he's obviously suffering some effects. Uh, it's weird. And then uh, Trump had a rally. So he talked about Fetterman. Let's listen to this. Through his position on the Pennsylvania Board of Pardons, Fetterman has released a record number of dangerous criminals back onto the streets, 
many of which have created horrible, just atrocious crimes. He supports setting loose one out of every three inmates in your prisons. And he bragged that his goal is to get as many criminals out onto the street as quickly as possible. Fetterman supports taxpayer-funded drug dens and the complete decriminalization of illegal drugs, including heroin, cocaine, crystal meth, and ultra-lethal fentanyl. Okay, there you go. This is fucking Trump. Uh, you, know what, you know what I hate about... You know what bugs me most about him? How much fucking money is he can? He's raised, like, millions of dollars. Why isn't he out there, like giving money to these candidates. He's just holding rallies. He's not giving them any money. That was in Pennsylvania, apparently. He was talking about, uh, yeah, it was in Scranton. And he's out there stumping for Dr. Oz, for that fucking dope, who he supported in the primary, by the way. And that's what the voters went with, so there we go. Okay, uh, do I have anything else I absolutely wanted to play? Oh, yeah, I did want to play this one. There was a freak out on a plane. <laughs> this is... Some chemical engineer. He has been identified as Zachary Easterly. And uh, apparently he was intoxicated or something, and he decides to fucking start ranting on the plane. And let's listen to this from TMZ. Sir, come and grab me, babe. That's one thing. So that was great. And then there was this chick also on a plane. They were kicked off. This is a mom and her daughter who's probably about like 13, 14 years old. And the daughter actually starts mouthing off too, which is kind of funny. So let's play a little bit of this. It starts in kind of like the back part. So I'm going to jump up to where she kind of moves up to the front of the plane a little bit. Why can I not fucking move? Let me see. Uh, it won't let me move up. Okay, let's just play it from the beginning. Here we go. I 
Get off the plane! She's gonna walk by this guy in a minute. It gets louder. I think. Daughter just smacked somebody. She goes, the 14 year old, by the way, was the one who said, uh, shut up, bitch. Yep. She's going to fucking go well in society. Guys, am I fucking, I'm about out of time. Almost uh, just so quickly, just a few fucking small headlines. Um, the 21, the 29 year old guy who flew the plane over Mississippi for five hours and threatened to crash into a, a Walmart. That was Corey Patterson. He did not have any landing experience or a pilot's license, which is uh, crazy. Um, the white daughter of a Maine pageant queen quits her role as an indigenous college dean after being accused of lying that she's Native American to land a job while selling $35,000 tribal quilts. <laughs> Gina Adams was born in Connecticut. <clears throat> she's 57. She quit her job after... Real indigenous people found that her grandfather and relatives are, in fact, white with zero links to Native Americans. Where did she teach here? Let me see here. She claimed that her grandfather was taken from a white earth reservation in Minnesota and forced into a Pennsylvania boarding school. <laughs> McLean's did a long investigation. Yeah, very good. Go Google Gina Adams. Um, she became a professor at the Emily Carr University of Art and Design in Vancouver, Canada. Another Canadian faker. How about that? Very good. I love the fucking white, white chicks who pretend to be indigenous. A uh, boy, 15 years old, gets USB cable stuck inside his penis. He said he was using the cord in an attempt to measure his penis and also as a form of sexual experimentation. It, the teenager was from the UK. The cable became knotted and blood was spotted in the boy's urine. You can see the x-ray of the cable. Yet another USB cable one. A, let's see, what else? The cops open probe after a Dallas anesthesiologist, 55 years old, is killed by a compromised IV bag she took home to treat her dehydration. 
Melanie Casper died of cardiac arrest after she hooked herself up to an IV bag. Medical examiners ruled her death was caused by a toxic reaction to the anesthetic drug bupivacaine. Bupivacaine? Was it used? Gross, dude. Bomb attack in Burkina Faso killed dozens of people. 35 people were killed and dozens of others wounded when a roadside blast struck a convoy. Pakistani soldiers killed in a gun battle with the Taliban. And the Pakistan Taliban. They have been accused, the Taliban has, of accused, uh, been accused of breaking a ceasefire after the army said at least five soldiers and four Taliban fighters died in a gun battle in the country's northwest. A Dearborn University provost has been caught driving nude while pleasuring himself. <laughs> 62-year-old Michael Two. Police said he was driving through the city without any clothing and while pleasuring himself. And yes, there was plenty of cell phone video. And finally, you guys, I have to go to the big finish. And for the first time ever, I actually subscribed to a newspaper in order to get this story because nobody else had it. But I, it is a real newspaper. And it is in fucking Australia. It is a veterinarian named Marcus Wei Sheng Tan, Asian guy. And he is a veterinarian in a town called Adelaide. Okay? A-D-E-L-A-I-D-E. -E. And get this. Marcus Wei Sheng Tan, who practiced at several South Australian surgeries is now facing disciplinary action through the SA Civil and Administrative Tribunal after allegations were presented following a complaint by the state's Veterinary Surgeons Board. The complaint sheet alleges that Tan was guilty of unprofessional conduct in delivering veterinary services. And he is understood to have practiced in artificial insemination and animal genetics. Three separate allegations accused him of inappropriately touching several animals. One of them was when Tan was accused of tweaking the dog's nipples and tickling her vulva. The complaint also alleges that Tan would insert a finger or two in female dogs' vaginas prior to artificial insemination procedures. And... He also slapped and squeezed the testicles of male dogs while they awaited castration procedures. A final allegation said he stuck four fingers and a thumb, uh, that's a whole hand, right, into a dog's vagina and repeatedly pushed them in and out for about 20 seconds. The vet board in the complaint seat says there was no legitimate medical purpose for any of the actions allegedly taken. And all that is fine, right? Uh, you know, it's that, that, I mean, that's weird, right? But it's not big finish material. But there's more. Two of the grounds alleged, two of the grounds also alleged that Tan, ready for it, ingested an animal's semen. That's right. He drank dog jizz and he admitted that one <laughs>
<sighs> Come on. Remember that other fucking... What is it with veterinarians? Remember the one I covered sometime back out of, like, Florida? And he was fucking the dogs? <laughs> so we had the Florida veterinarian banging dogs. And this dude is fist-fucking dogs. And he's drinking the jizz of the dogs. Wow. I, that's, a, that's a good one. And guys, <laughs> that is it. There goes the iPad. And please go to patreon.com. Search for BK Actual. Please help support the podcast. Just type BK Actual in the Patreon.com search bar. I'll come right up. Consider making a donation. Help keep the podcast going. Advertising free, by the way. Also, shout out to my man Jake, my meat guy. Uh, I finally met him for real in the uh, first time in real life. He stopped by with uh, a meat load for me. Again, contact him on Instagram at Jake uh, Jake Ryan nine six zero or you can go to jakesteaks.com. I've had nothing but great messages from people who've been ordering from Jake. So, And he's also doing the bison and the grass-fed, grass-finished beef. So I encourage you guys to do that. And guys, that is all I got. Follow me on Instagram at BKActual and Twitter at BravoKiloActual. And I will see you next week. I stay down in my back, they got bigger. Mucha here, figure, don't fuck with you niggas. Only back woods, don't pet me, no swiss. Your bitch in my DM, she like my pictures. I'm in the truck on the night to the morning. Catching the pack and you know that I'm on it. Give me a bag and go blow it in my pockets and stuff.